the year is 2021. As the world faces threats of both a pandemic and rampant stupidity, the future of movie theaters and film itself begins to look uncertain. Amid the chaos, two film geeks try to make sense of it all. When all hope seems lost for our pair of cinephiles, a beacon of light shines in the distance. A trailer so beautiful, so insane, and so over the top that it might just be the film to pull our heroes from their malaise. That film is Godzilla vs. Kong. Our nerdy duo sees this as a call to arms and embarks on a journey that few would dare, with one a seasoned Godzilla expert and the other an optimistic newcomer. Together, they will take the franchise head-on, watching all 35 Godzilla films in a time span few mortals could manage, all leading up to the grand finale of Godzilla vs. Kong. Join them as they escape to Monster Island. Welcome back, everybody, to the Not Buff Film Buff podcast. I'm here as always. My name's Wes Skinner. This is Josh Lapierre. How you doing, Josh? I'm doing fine. How are you doing today, bud? Good, man. So today we're on episode five of our Escape to Monster Island series, which has been a total roller coaster. We are watching every single Godzilla film that has ever been made leading up to Godzilla vs. Kong, which we're both very excited about, me especially now that I am watching all of these, most of these, for the first time. And Josh, you are rewatching these, of course, as a reminder to anybody listening, Josh is sort of rewatching these being a Godzilla fan his entire life. So we are, if you like what you hear today, you can go ahead and check us out. We now have a Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, which have been uh, slowly picking up followers and stuff, which is really awesome. And anyone who's been listening to this, we really appreciate you so much. We're just glad anyone's listening, and we're glad anyone who wants to have a conversation about Godzilla wants to have a conversation about Godzilla with us, and hopefully more movies in the future. So we're looking forward to that. So moving on, yeah, so we're on the millennium era of the Godzilla films. So this era is the era that started in 99 and ended in 2004. Is that right, Josh? That is absolutely correct. So we'll be talking about six films here. This is the shorter of the three eras we've watched so far. After watching 15 movies in a row right off the bat with the Showa era and then doing the seven, even though this is only one less movie than Heisei, this definitely breezed by. And I think it helped that each of these was a completely different experience. And another thing is, is some of these were uh, some of these were some of the shortest of all the Godzilla films. Like I believe Tokyo SOS and Against Mechagodzilla were both only an hour and a half, and most yeah, those, of these films had been hit, almost hitting the hour fifty mark. I feel so, like that was a Heisei thing, especially because Showa, we kind of oh, yeah. got used to. I remember when we were watching Showa, even though there were fifteen of them, it wasn't bad because I could watch like. Sometimes, you know, I could watch two and I think at one point I even watched three in a day and it didn't really feel that exhausting. It was a lot. Yeah, but it would definitely breeze by pretty quick. And much like the Showa era, as opposed to the Heisei era, the Millennium era does not have any sort of, aside from two of the films, does not have any sort of continuity. Whereas the Heisei era, we're coming off the Heisei, which had all continuity. And then this is pretty much a reboot every single movie which was pretty interesting and create made for a very different experience i had no idea it was just a grab bag i had no idea what i was getting obviously i went into it already knowing that this is the reboot era so it was very interesting to kind of go back and see how each one was done and to address the uh 98 elephant in the room (laughs) a lot of these reboots took fucking pot shots at 98 and i love it so much and if anyone doesn't know what we're talking about 
there was so josh if you want to we'll get into it more eventually we'll do an american godzilla episode but if you want to get into a little of what sort of came about with after heisei ended because godzilla versus destroyer was supposed to be the last one from toho anyways and then they kind of were passing the gauntlet I'm guessing semi-reluctantly to TriStar to pick things up. And then they eventually, after prolonging it a little bit, from my understanding, released it in 98 to a very dismal response from a lot of people, especially long-term Godzilla fans. So this, you know, Godzilla 2000, the first of this era, seemed very much like, I actually remember, weirdly enough, I remember the trailer for this movie in America coming out. And I remember watching it I was at our grandparents' house, actually. I remember watching it and being like, oh, that looks pretty cool. I didn't know they were still doing suits. And that was my only really experience with anything from this era, except for when Final Wars came out. I remember watching that when I was younger. But those are the only experiences I have with this era. So this was interesting. I had no idea to expect what to expect. Josh, what were your... Do you remember your first experience with these movies? And how far into your fandom were you? So this was the era... That took me the longest to finish outside the Heisei for mainly distribution reasons on that one because I just couldn't find the DVDs and stuff. Sure. You were actually the main reason I was able to finally finish watching the Millennium Era because you got me my copy of Godzilla against Mechagodzilla on DVD. And that was the last one I needed to watch. So that was cool. Oh, I actually remember that now. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, and the first one I saw this era was Godzilla 2000, because that was actually had a U.S. theatrical release. I was way too young for that. I was three years old when the theatrical (laughs) release came around, and so that was one of the first ones I saw on DVD. I don't know the order I watched these in, but I do remember watching Final Wars with you and Jonah. Oh, yeah, which is a... Oh boy, that's going to be a fun one to talk. Yeah, both at the time and now that movie is an absolute trip. So that'll be an interesting one to talk about. Oh yeah. I uh, I have very fond memories, not fond memories, but I have memories of uh, GMK. Uh, when I was very young, I refused to watch that one because I didn't like watching how, uh, spoilers, he dies at the end of that one. And I didn't like watching that when I was a kid. I was very <laughs> upset about that. So you must have loved Destroya as a kid. Oh, yeah, we we already talked about that trauma. <laughs> yeah, this was a fun one because, like I said, I really didn't know what to expect as we went into each one. So it definitely, while it didn't create that sort of feeling that Heisei did where I felt like, where it all felt like one piece, which kind of helped build off each other. And like I said, I think even the weaker ones for me or the ones I felt were weaker are over time in the Heisei era going to age very well for me because... Overall, I like the arc and I really love where it landed in Destroya. So I think that that will sort of lift movies up like Space Godzilla and Godzilla 2 for me, especially. So I'm looking forward to rewatching those in the future. These, I feel like the Millennium Era ones all kind of stand on their own. So I feel like, well, I'll definitely go back and give some of these a try. I think the ones that for the most part, the ones that I love will stick with me and the ones that I don't will kind of drift off. But I don't know. Well, only time will tell. But it did feel very similar to the Showa era where it was kind of just throw in the disc and hope for the best, you know, because it's I didn't have that lifeline that the, you know, Heisei sort of lulled me into this false sense of comfort of just always knowing that, hey, the, the worst it'll get is just kind of comfortable, you know, the worst it'll get is just kind of passive, whereas like, you know, it'll be nothing crazy because the quality was so consistent. Whereas here, I do think it jumps up and down a little more, a little more aggressively. 
but definitely excited to talk about these. Oh yeah, this one has the uh, most varied special effects. Let's just put it that way. Yes, I think another good thing to point out is that this was where CGI came into the mix. And I think I want to take a second to kind of talk about CGI in in general, because I feel like movies have this thing where when a technology is discovered, it's everywhere, you know? Oh, yeah. And when CGI happened, it was like, it blew up. You had, you know, the Matrix did it and you had the Lord of the Rings movies were, did some incredible things with CGI. And it's insane looking back that those were like, alongside these movies <laughs> you, know, you can just compare the budget and and kind of where the technology was and what it was capable of i do always appreciate about toho's films that they never really cared they were kind of were just like well it's the technology's fault for not being able to catch up with our big ideas because a lot of these films they would just do what they wanted you know they didn't wait for cgi to do giant monster movies they've been doing it for years with guys in suits and i've always appreciated that about it and now there's you know now that they had CGI, they blended it. And I think in some cases it does work. There's a couple instances where it works really well in this era. And then there's a couple instances where it really hinders it. But we'll, we'll get to that. Josh, oh, you, yeah. ready to, you ready to get talking about these bad boys? Oh, yeah. Let's start off with uh, Godzilla 2000. All right. So Godzilla 2000. As the new millennium nears, Godzilla is a force of nature which repeatedly threatens Japan. Crisis Control Intelligence, the government organization tasked with combating Godzilla, discovers a huge rock on the ocean floor which reveals itself as an alien UFO. The UFO takes an interest in Godzilla and defeats him in a brief encounter before docking on top of the city tower in Tokyo and siphoning data from the city servers. As Godzilla prepares for a rematch with the UFO, humanity struggles to learn the alien's true intentions and the reasoning behind their interest in Godzilla. So I came up with a metaphor for this one. This one felt like a wrestler who had retired a few years ago, was ready to like, like bought his lake house, was ready to just settle down after years of wrestling and being on top, just realized it was kind of his like, he's like, I've did what I could. I went out really strong. He had some big championship match, you know, I mean, let's be honest, Destroya sounds like it could also be a wrestler. So he settles down, you know, cracks his knuckles, leans back. Then one day just flips open his laptop and these, you know, all of a sudden all these links pop up and people start sending him these links to this YouTube video. And it's this young, hot wrestler on the scene calling him the fuck out and says, I could beat that old man's ass. I could do what he does better. Everybody check it out. And he sees that as a call to arms. And even though he hasn't worked out in a few months, he's a little achy, a little sore, gets out there anyways, and he does his thing. And even though he maybe looks like an old wrinkled sausage now, he's still him. He still has his presence. He still has his charisma. He just maybe doesn't fight as well, maybe a little slow, but he's still there. And that, my friend, is exactly how I feel about Godzilla 2000. This movie feels like Toho wasted no time to respond to what they thought was a poor representation of their character. And I respect the shit out of that. However, I don't think they took the time to work out, so to speak, and to build that muscle back up and to find a way to implement the new tools of things like CGI back into their movie. So I think that this movie comes off like it was just not ready. Like it it feels... You've used the term half-baked, and I feel like this one 100% feels like it was taken out of the oven a little too early, you know? And I, I feel like there's a good recipe in there. I feel like you can t- still, like, you know, the aromas from the spices are great, 
But then once you take a bite, you're like, eh, it's a little raw, still a little, still needs a little more time. So that's kind of how I felt with that one, specifically in the, not only the special effects department, but just kind of finding out an identity. And I think that's the biggest struggle this era has. If I have one overarching weakness to point out about this era, it's that it really struggles with finding an identity of what it wants to do. Now, part of that is like we talked about, I don't think this was meant to be an era of films. I think they just knew they wanted to make Godzilla films and then passed it along to directors and saw what happened. You know, Whereas like Heisei was very clearly a bunch of people in a room who all had similar ideas and while it was passed along to different creative minds throughout it there was definitely a steady stream of what they were going for after watching a film like 98 which we will eventually get to i think this is a really refreshing you know it's kind of it's kind of like if 98 was a really bad shot of well whiskey this isn't exactly like top shelf whiskey that's going to make you forget all about it, but this is at least like a smooth glass of water to wash it down a little bit. Josh, how do you feel about this one? Yeah, I have a lot of mixed feelings on this one because it's the return of the traditional Japanese Godzilla, but like yours, you know, kind of quoting me on it, it's very half-baked, and it's that's mainly because of how quickly Toho put this out right after 98 came out because 98 came out in, well, obviously 1998. This one came out 99. I, I don't even I think maybe December. I didn't check the actual official release date, but it was just over a year. So that means writing, coming up the script, all the miniatures, all that kind of stuff was done within that short of a time. So it was very rushed. And I don't blame them because 98 shit on the franchise. It did not do anything right that Godzilla was. And so Toho was like, no, we need to show American audiences what Godzilla is. And I kind of wish this wasn't the one they used. There's one a little later in the franchise I feel like would have been a better, you know, hey, America, this is how you do a Godzilla movie, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But yeah, this one, I I do like a lot of elements of it. But like you were saying, this one could have used a little more time in the oven. Yeah, I will say one thing I was impressed and surprised by about this one is that it seems that normally the first movie in each era is usually like a stripped down back to basics film like Godzilla 85 was or 84 whatever it was whereas this one I kind of expected that I thought it was going to be Godzilla versus military again so the fact that it ended up being you know we don't really get a race of aliens here so much as one big alien creature I kind of liked that So his enemy in this one is Orga, who I thought was a neat character, and I thought they did some cool things with him. I would compare him very much to Hedorah, where he kind of like has his different forms, and he some of them cooler than others. I think he might be kind of an underrated character. I think he's kind of cool. I really appreciated his like final form design, which we'll get into later on. But even then, I feel like that if they had spent a little more time in in engineering the suit and everything, I think it could have been a more well-realized design. But unfortunately, even that felt a little sort of, again, just half-baked, half-constructed. I think there's some interesting character ideas. I think everything in this is passable. There's nothing really that stands out that's bad about it. Everything from the music to the characters is all totally fine. But that's just it. You know, like you said, I think a return, a a triumphant comeback for this character deserves more than fine. But in the time they were allotted, 
in the, you know, with, with such a fast response time to 98, I think it's got some pretty impressive elements. So let's get to the sort of more specifics of it. Josh, how do you feel about the characters in this movie? There's kind of a main, a central father-daughter team, which you and I mentioned the other day to each other that we kind of realized this was sort of a theme of this era or would become a theme of this era is father-daughter relationships. We're going to see a lot of these as we go. So how are your feelings about those characters and just kind of the characters in general in this one? I actually do really like the human cast in this one. I thought they were really fun. One thing that was definitely interesting is a lot of the behind the scenes production crew and everything were carryovers from the Heisei era. Like the director, Takeo Okawara, he directed a lot of the Heisei era films. And so it was cool to see him kind of return to be like, yo, this is how we do a Godzilla movie. So that was nice. But yeah, I really did enjoy the uh, human cast. Takahiro Murata, uh, he was in Godzilla vs. Mothra from 92. He had a brief cameo in Desestroya. Yeah. So it was nice to see him take the lead as Yuji Shindo. And I'm really glad he took the lead because I actually really liked his character. Was he the father? Yeah, he was the dad. Yeah, so they are this, um, what do they call their little company again? Uh, the Godzilla Prediction Network. Yes. And one thing that I wish this movie did a little better of a job explaining is it's not just his family. There are a couple other people working for him. But they only show them in like one scene each. Yeah. So it does, you don't get this aspect that it's more people in Japan working together. In a way, I did kind of like the idea of it just being a little grassroots operation with him and his daughter. Him and his daughter who they end up sort of teaming up reluctantly with a reporter. She's trying to get the scoop as always in these movies. And she is kind of annoyed by them at first and the girl is really hyper intelligent and sassy and I actually liked her a lot. And at one point she kind of stops the scene and basically tells the reporter, Hey, yeah, you can follow us around. Um, I'm going to need you to sign up for a membership though. (laughs) And she's like, we got a great deal going. We get a great offer. And I was like, I love this kid immediately. I will say one strength of the movies as time goes on is the kid characters are way less annoying and, and way better. They kind of have slowly incrementally gotten better over the years so it's good that we're not dealing with annoying children anymore they managed to put this girl character in here but kind of they scale her up in quirkiness and in a compelling level to kind of rather than sort of scale the rest of the movie down to make it feel like a kid's movie so even though there is a younger character in the prominent role doesn't feel like you know a kid's movie at all which was nice that is one thing i'll totally give it Yeah, I honestly kind of laugh at the fact that Godzilla did the whole kid aspect way better than uh, Gamera ever did. So that was... Which was a series mostly aimed at kids, right? Yeah, and they had a lot of child actors star in those movies. And then Godzilla's like, no, this this is how you guys do kids for (laughs) kaiju movies. And I'm just like, thank you, Godzilla. But yeah, she was um, played by Maya Suzuki. Obviously, we don't know many of her roles because she's a kid, but she did a good job. I actually really liked her character. And uh, Naomi Nishida plays mm-hmm. Yuki, who's the reporter that hangs out with them and everything. And yeah, she she takes a few scenes to kind of connect with and vibe with because, you know, she's very put off by the family and everything because she's kind of annoyed to have to be working with them again. Well, I think we're they, meant to. Yeah, I think we're meant to be annoyed by her at first. Yeah, as the characters bond, we bond with them. And exactly. I, I do like that, that aspect a lot. That was fun. They do a really good job of, of building their chemistry. I do feel like that's another thing that almost every single movie of these where it has kind of unlikely people reluctantly paired together 
they usually nail it. I don't know how they do it. I think it's just, there's clearly a very fun vibe on set with these movies. And I feel like you can just tell the actors are having fun and maybe it's a little easier for them to let loose and get more comfortable with the other actors. But I always sense like these movies always seem like once the cameras are off, they're all patting each other on the back and hanging out and having a good time. So it definitely feels, you feel the sort of family element throughout these films between the cast because the chemistry is always, or not always, but usually really, really strong. How do you feel about the, uh, the big green guy in this one? This was my first time seeing this new suit and I personally like the design. I felt like it was a lot more animalistic and set itself apart from previous iterations. What are your thoughts? Because I know you really love the Heisei Godzilla. This is definitely a unique design. It's not my favorite, though. One thing that Up From The Depths, shout out to him again, mentions that I never really paid attention to when I was younger, but now that he pointed it out, kind of takes me out of it, is Godzilla never blinks. And so in the Heisei era, they had a lot of good puppetry in Godzilla's head to help give expression and everything. I think with this one being so rushed, they didn't really take the time to do that puppetry for the head. So it felt like Godzilla had a lot less expression to him. Oh, yeah. He is significantly less expressive in these movies. Oh, yeah. So that was, they may have just been going for more of an animalistic point of view but i think so and i like that vibe for it but i do agree that a little bit of the you know you still could have made some little tweaks here and there and they still could have done some little micro kind of expressions with his his expressions to kind of give it a little more character you know just maybe a lift of a lip to snarl or like you know lowered brows to kind of like glare at people but yeah it does it yeah. does feel like he has this neutral frustrated look on his face the yeah whole movie, and that's kind of it yeah you assume that's his only emotion he's just frustrated boy yeah and one thing that's really nice is godzilla's played by the same suit actor for five of the six movies so that is i mean granted he brings kind of a different personality to each one so that's interesting he's played by sutoma katagawa mm-hmm and they use a lot more of Godzilla's mannerisms to show his feelings and emotions opposed to his face like they would in the Heisei era. And there are good couple of like body shots of him kind of reacting like when Orga uppercuts mm-hmm. him during the final <laughs> battle. He's able to kind of portray Godzilla being dazed and confused without having to show it on his face. So I like that. But again, I think it would have been a little better if they also had more facial movements and stuff to help you know portray that because he did do a good job but i felt like the suit also kind of let down his performance at the same time sure yeah i feel i wonder if the fact that they i almost wonder if they were self-aware that the expressions weren't as ranged this time so maybe that informed him to have a more animated performance i think that yeah there's a little more of the kind of showa arm flailing a little more of the what i really liked about heisei was they treated him like how a giant dinosaur would move and i think that was probably my favorite of like the suit performances was especially in destroy it godzilla is just so yeah, he it really sells you as both both an animal and a character. They find that mid ground really well. Where I feel here, there's a little bit of uh, I, I think those two elements kind of mesh. Kind of the you know almost cartoony flailing of arms sometimes mixed with like a very animalistic feral looking suit doesn't really mesh as well for me, unfortunately. Which took me out of relating to Godzilla a little more than I could in the Heisei era. 
And I think it's just because this was so close to the Heisei era that it's, and plus we just watched it, that we're going to keep making those connections and everything. Because this was only four years after Godzilla versus Destroya. So Godzilla was supposed to be done four Just years crazy. ago. Yeah. And one thing I did not quite like was the fighting, to be honest. It was very, really, very slow. Mm-hmm. And granted, last era was nothing but beam attacks, but this, <laughs> they felt, it felt fast paced at, at the same time. Sure. Yeah. And this one, I think they were trying to go back to the Showa esque fighting, which I'll get more into in the next movie. Mm-hmm. But with this, they just it felt very slow and I think it was just because of the way Orga's suit design was because of how bulky and big that was. Yeah. They were still trying to figure it out while they were filming sadly and mm-hmm. yeah, it felt very slow. I mean, and they may have also been just trying to use slow to show off how massive they were, but canonically thanks to like behind the scene books and everything that gave us like the creature data and everything. Mm-hmm. This is canonically one of the smaller Godzillas. He's back down to being only like 160 feet. Oh, really? The, yeah, the Heisei era Godzilla was supposed to be like 300 feet. I love that. Only 160 feet, you little yeah. bitch. You tiny yeah. bitch. <laughs> I mean, he is a tiny bitch compared to the rest of the franchise. That's true. We got some big bitches coming up when we get to the legendary. And Reiwa. That's for sure. Yeah, Reiwa. that's true. Boy, TC oh. Godzilla Earth. Yeah. Oh, is that the anime one? Yeah. Oh, boy. But, um, yeah, the fighting, there were some really great shots for the fighting. But, again, it was just very slow-paced. And I noticed that for the later movies, but I felt it was more deliberate in the later Millennium films, mm-hmm. which I'll get to, which I actually made a comment about it when we were watching uh, Against Mechagodzilla together. Mm-hmm. So I want to actually mention a couple things. So as I had said earlier how they brought over some of the Heisei creative teams. A lot of the destruction scenes, especially that beginning intro where Godzilla's, you know, first introduced in this movie. Yeah. And he does destroys that power plant and everything. I couldn't get over how much it referenced like the destruction scenes in the early Heisei era with like the red sky, mm-hmm. black background type. Thing. I thought that too. Yeah. And I could not get over how well that some of that was shot. There's um one of my favorite shots in this movie, which they kind of do a repeat of in GMK. So there's this tracking shot where the GPN mm-hmm. is uh, driving in the foreground as Godzilla's walking in the background. And it's this really cool tracking shot. And there's a lot of good like cinematography type things in that movie and i just that was one of the shots that i really appreciated there's a lot of great cinematography in this and i feel like it's a little hindered by not only some of the preliminary cgi but also i think like you said like the i think the slowness of the fights and of the movement of the monsters i think it works better if you're shooting it from a more human perspective whereas if you're just kind of shooting it in a straightforward wide the slow movements can i mean it it just looks like two people moving slow you know it doesn't it doesn't quite work as well i I think where we're in the perspective of say like actually a really good example is terror of mechagodzilla one of the things i did really like about that movie is it was the first time they really utilized those kind of like from the ground shots up and sort of looking up at the monsters and it sold the scale really well and they looked massive and i think there's a movie later on 
in this era that I think does that really well as well. My issue with it here is that they don't sell that scale. And if they did, the slow movement would be okay. But it doesn't work so well here. Yeah, to kind of circle back, I'm sorry to cut you off, but kind of circle back on that is uh, during the final battle, there is one of those wide shots where they're kind of like slowly moving their arms to whack each other. And it's one Mm -hmm. of those, it would have looked better if maybe the camera was down a little lower, kind of looking up at them. But instead, again, it's just a wide shot of the two of them fighting with some buildings in front to give off scale. And one thing I do want to mention, though, is... uh, I noticed how they did a lot of the fight scenes in this era, and it's a lot of forced perspective. Mm -hmm. I mean, granted, that's how you'd have to do it for showing off giant monsters fighting, but it's one thing I've noticed how the Ultraman series does their action, Mm -hmm. where they'll have kind of like a stage clear for them, the suit actors to fight in, and then have buildings kind of circle them, but have them mainly, like the cameras set almost right behind them, buildings to give it off as like a full city instead of it being just you know a few buildings just in the front a huge open spot for the actors and then more buildings yeah which it makes sense and they did a good job in a few of the scenes but some of the fights you could tell how open the areas were yeah back to some of the cool imagery in the movie i think there's so many cool ideas in this like i love the especially with orga i loved when he was sitting sort of on the tower as a ufo in ufo form yeah and it had the sun the red sun in the background and everything that was a great shot that was yeah. a great shot. i actually have that in my notes and then you have like the smoke bellowing out of the top of the tower and then they end up blowing up the tower and it looked really cool. There's a lot of really neat stuff that visually I think just could have been handled a little more definitely from like just effects wise. Just I think they just should have gone more subtle here with a lot of this stuff. I think they were trying to really much like return of Godzilla felt it, it felt like they were trying to combine this sort of like fun blockbuster feel with also still trying to do a moody movie at times, although this one committed a little bit more to the blockbuster thing, and which is why I probably overall like it a little bit better than Return of Godzilla. Yeah, this this movie was again just like that one was a was two thirds of a of a great movie for me, and I feel like there were a lot of good moments, but they all just kind of fell by the wayside in this like sea of middling mediocrity by the end of it. I think if it, for every positive, there was like a negative kind of hanging off of it that didn't make it very well. The Everything like the little baby orga to like the UFO flying around, like all could have been really cool visuals, but unfortunately were just hindered by the fact that they insisted on using CGI. And I think a lot of those, they could have made baby orga. They did not have to do that as CGI, but they did. And I think that was a choice that... You know, maybe in hindsight, I don't know if that looked good at the time. A lot of this is hard to tell if it looks good at the time. Because like I said, a lot of the CGI from the early 2000s aged like milk. Their late 90s, early 2000s just did not age well at all. Um, how do you for feel me, about the... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, for me, a lot of the CG is shit. I'm just going to say, it's shit. There's some <laughs> really bad compositing shots of Godzilla. Because yeah. they use like real footage. Mm-hmm. And then they like CG'd Godzilla into it. and it, it just doesn't look right. It, it, you can tell. And luckily, later in the series, they iron that out and make it look a lot better. It's still noticeable, but it mm-hmm. doesn't take you out like this movie does. There's a few scenes where Godzilla's swimming, and ooh, that model just looks like a PS2. 
PS2 oh, model. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah, and it almost it doesn't even look. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it didn't look like it was modeled after this suit. Almost like it kind of looked like a generic like. If you were to Google, you know, like non-copyright or like free use Godzilla images, right? CGI images, like you'd find it. Like, and you know, that's what it felt like. It didn't feel like it was sculpted after what, the after the, the the vision. Yeah, the creative vision of it. So that was, that was really strange and felt really jarring at times and, and really pulled me out of it. And I do wonder, like I said, I do wonder if it looked cooler at the time just because you couldn't see it but like i don't know i i can't help but imagine it's just always looked poor one thing i do find funny though is uh some of the cgi godzilla shots almost looked better than the tristar 98 godzilla which was 100 percent cgi yeah again it just that's one thing that took me out of this was its over reliance on cg like the mm-hmm. scenes of the orga's ship flying there were some really cool ones but it was just like superimposed over some you know real life stuff and it just like when he explodes the helicopters that are flying with him it just again it aged like milk <laughs> yeah and that was another thing was a commitment to once they realized they could do cgi explosions they kind of leaned heavily on that rather than doing there were a few practical explosions but not many again like the smoke out of the tower i think looks great because it's practical but the cgi explosions look terrible i also think another really weak thing about the design of this movie was the sound like i don't understand why the sound effects of them punching each other sounded like a hand banging on a car window it it just was really frustrating because you have these big cool shots kind of selling these big grand creatures and then you get (laughs) when they hit each other it just does not it does not add up and really i think kind of much like the way they don't really sell the scale just kind of like yeah really scales everything down overall I think that's just kind of cut up to the whole rush nature of this movie. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about Orga's final design? Very unique. Yeah. Because one thing I didn't realize until I watched Wikizilla's Orga video featuring Monster Island Buddies, love that guy, mm-hmm. it's asymmetrical. So one half is not the same as the other half. Oh. I didn't realize that because they don't do enough yeah. full body shots. A lot of it's just from the side. Mm-hmm. So you don't get to see like the full body shots of Orga, but that's yeah. a really cool concept. Even picturing and him I, now, I can only picture a side profile. Yeah, see, exactly. I mean, I, you get that one shot where he's like just come out from behind the uh, destroyed UFO mm-hmm. and you get the full frontal shot and that's like the only time we see it. Full frontal, baby. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um I do like the fact that it's trying to clone and replicate Godzilla. That was cool. Yes, I liked that idea, and I liked that his process to do that is to open his mouth like a goddamn anaconda and start swallowing Godzilla, which was cool as shit. However, I don't know exactly what Orca's plan was. Yeah, I know, right? He kind of lucked out because he just sits there and opens his mouth up really wide, and then Gochi just reels back and then <laughs> runs in head first into his mouth and i was like goji what you doing he's just gonna eat you you silly bitch and then you see his spikes light up and this was actually a genuinely really cool moment in the movie and he just blasts him from the inside and just decimates him and i really really enjoyed that i love a good final move i'm a sucker for a good fatality mortal Kombat fan so i gotta appreciate that but that was uh how'd you feel about that moment you you had to love that at least 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One thing that I did appreciate was this is one of the only times they use CGI to enhance the monster design. And I mm-hmm. thought they did, for the most part, a pretty good job. Like, there's a couple shots where Orga's rehealing itself after Godzilla blasted it. Yes. And the CG is a little wonky. Sure. But, like, when Orga opens its mouth up to swallow Godzilla, that was actually some pretty decent CGI. It looks I mean, great. Yeah, like, the whole tentacle thing's coming out. Mm-hmm. And again, this is another one of those scenes where if they had more facial expressions on Godzilla, it would have worked a little better. Mm Because you do see the actor kind of portray like a what kind of look. And I think a little more expression on Godzilla's face would have helped. And more puppetry in Orga, because when Godzilla goes to... It's either a nuclear pulse or a fire blast down its throat. It's hard to tell, honestly. Oh, I assumed it was a blast, but I could be wrong. I don't know. Yeah, I, I can't remember if it's a nuclear pulse or not. But Orga's eyes widen right before it happens. And <laughs> it's kind of bad CGI for the eye. Because it's just the, you know, suit's eye. And they just widen it. They don't, it's not like an animatronic puppet eye widening. It's just, yeah, they just they stretch kinda, it out in a computer. Yeah, it looked yeah. a little wonky. Which they do that again in the next movie, which I'll talk about. Interesting. I actually didn't notice that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then so this being a Godzilla movie, there's always someone who has an either fascination or rivalry or both with Godzilla. And so I can't remember the guy's name, the character's name, but he's kind of the big douche of the movie. He's like Katagiri. Yeah, Katagiri. Yeah. How could I forget? Because we get this ridiculous moment of him sort of having a stare down with Godzilla after the battle. And he just shouts out Godzilla at the top of his lungs. And then Godzilla just sort of like smashes his paw down in front of him. And is it a paw? I don't know. That sounds like kind of a cute word for it. Maybe it's claws. Sure. (laughs) And he just falls forward. And then the main guy, the dad runs to the edge where he just fell off. And right after the guy goes, Godzilla and then falls down and dies. The other guy reaches down and just goes, Katagiri! Just like really loud. And it was a very goofy moment that felt a little out of place, but I also kind of appreciated the B moviness of it. Yeah, there was some there there was some slapstick humor in this movie as well, which was a little odd. There was. I mentioned I had uh, made note of that too, and I I feel like it didn't bother me as much. There was some really like it felt like kind of you and I actually both grew up on three our, fam- our family loved three stooges, your dad, especially. Oh yeah. And I remember we'd always, was it, was it new year's that had the marathon? I think it was new year's. Yeah. That sounds very. And there was yeah. a moment here that I, that reminded me of that in a good way. Like I actually kind of sometimes slapsticks like whatever, but when it's delivered really well, I feel like it's all in the facial expressions for me. Like it's not that a dude is getting whacked in the head with a rod, like four times like in that one scene what makes it so funny is that the guy carrying the rod is completely (laughs) oblivious to it every single time and he sells it really well with his look so for me that's what sells slapstick and i think that's why the three stooges were so timeless is because they sold it in their kind of aloof goofiness and they do that here too a couple times which actually kind of worked for me but i think it just gave the movie a broader blockbuster feel rather than making it feel like a mismatchy of tones because eventually that's what blockbusters were especially in this time in the in the late 90s early 2000s i mean think like independence day like that movie is totally goofy and also 
you know has big explosions and crazy blockbuster shit um which ironically the same director of 98 godzilla fucking roland emmerich fuck roland emmerich <laughs> and fuck dean Devlin. <laughs> oh that being said uh do you have anything more to say about godzilla 2000 Nah, uh, I did overall like it, but a lot of stuff kind of held it back for me really loving this one. Yeah, I think this sets the tone for this being the identity crisis era for me. I think that's what I'm nicknaming it, is it just feels like it was constantly trying to find its place. And I think that the times it does in this franchise, it really works. But it works only within that movie, because again, this isn't like the Heisei franchise where there's anything to build off of, again, except for two movies. So... I think this was the first example of that kind of just not really knowing what kind of movie it wanted to be, maybe emulating some Hollywood stuff, but also very much being a Japanese Toho Godzilla film at the same time, which at the time was just probably refreshing and nice to have to sort of console people, a nice comfort blanket after the complete and utter just slapping across the face of 98. Yeah, and one thing I will say before we move on to the next movie is this was the last theatrically released film for Godzilla in the States till Shin Godzilla in 2016. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's because it bombed big time here in the States because everyone was like, why is it not like the 98 one? And why why don't the lips match the dialogue? And fucking American casuals. (laughs) Those goddamn Americans. All right, yeah. man. Without further ado, why don't you uh, lead us into Godzilla versus Megaguirus? All right, so on to Godzilla versus Megaguirus. Following his most recent attack on the new Japanese capital of Osaka in 1996, the government formed the special anti-Godzilla unit, the G-Graspers. Their ultimate weapon is the Dimension Tide, a miniature black hole gun which, which is believed capable of sealing Godzilla within another dimension. The weapon's test firing creates a wormhole which allows a Meganula to deposit its egg in the present day, giving birth to an entire swarm of creatures. The Meganula steal Godzilla's energy and transfer it to their queen, transforming her into a gigantic Megagirus. The G-Graspers race to use the Dimension Tide against Godzilla before he levels all of Tokyo, while Godzilla must contend with Megagirus, who intends to steal the rest of his energy. And, oh boy, this is a, this is a weird one. Lots of, like, mixed tones in this. Definitely. And, and for me, about halfway through it, maybe even during the final battle, I realized that this felt the most like Ultraman to me. Really? Yeah, uh, mainly on the human elements. It felt, viewers, if you have watched any of Ultraman, to me, this one felt like Ultraman Orb or Ultraman X. Those are the ones that I've seen so far, and that's what this this movie felt like, was those series. And, Wes, I know you haven't seen any of the uh, Ultra series, but a lot of the human elements, it felt like that. And yeah, it was it was very interesting that I had that kind of thought. And I don't know if it either made me enjoy the movie more or if it took me out of it. But it was definitely interesting. Are the human arcs in Ultraman typically military focused? Because that was definitely a deal here, I feel like. Uh, to my knowledge, yes and no. Yeah. Um, I'm still very much a noob in the Ultraman fandom. Thanks to Mill Creek finally releasing all the series on Blu-ray, I'm slowly catching up on the series. Hmm. But they're, they always have like a team of scientists and military experts that 
fight kaiju or sometimes it's just reporters that, that happen to get caught up in all the kaiju action and the g graspers very much gave me an ultraman x okay. uh, vibe which had which was a they had their own jets and military vehicles and stuff and yeah it was it was very interesting that i kind of drew those comparisons i feel like for me this one i feel like there's maybe a really tight fun hour and a half long movie in this one but if i remember correctly this one's like an hour and 50 minutes right something along those lines it's an hour and 45 minutes okay yeah and you feel every minute of that with this one i remember kind of about halfway like are they are the little ones called the meganulas is that the little boys the little bug boys so I think it goes Meganula is the more insectoid ones, then the mm-hmm. Meganulon are the flying ones, and then Megagears is obviously the queen that Godzilla fights. Like a Nidorino situation. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it's by the time he was like, when he was slapping all the kind of little dragonfly flying ones around, I thought that was actually a really neat scene. And I was like, oh man, this movie is really cool. Like, what do I have left? Like 20 minutes? And I remember having like 40 minutes or something left. And I was like, all right, this movie's too long. That's when I decided there, I was like, no, this is, this is way too much. Because <laughs> um, that was kind of one of the first big action set pieces. And especially it's Godzilla centric. And it just kind of, I, I don't know, this one felt very complacent in just kind of being a mediocre Godzilla movie. It felt like it had elements of, it really reminded me of the show era, actually, like a weaker show era film. That's just way too long. That's kind of how I would sum this one up. It's, it's goofier. It's a little, um, not, not super goofy, but I mean, like, it's just kind of, it starts off as fun camp but then eventually just doesn't have anything compelling to hold you onto it. Like the, the, the camp isn't fun enough to make you want to watch it for an hour and 40 minutes. And the serious stuff isn't compelling enough to make you care. So I feel like, unfortunately, I just kind of fell out of it. I did like the, you know, we have yet another, it starts to feel like a trope a little bit. Um, we have yet another like military revenge plot, which we'll get later on, but this one, it didn't, Later on, there's one that works better, I think, but this one did not work so well, uh, or I feel like it was just sort of, they kind of forgot about it halfway through. The main character, she's really, she's actually pretty good. I like her performance and everything. And I will say that the opening scene, the way this movie started, I thought this was going to be a little hidden gem because there's this static shot from an alleyway that as Godzilla's stomping, like it's kind of shaking and you see a trash can falls over, flaming car flies by, and then a Godzilla foot just stomps down. And while the bazooka guys are kind of waiting on the other end of the alley to shoot, and then they fire right when they see his foot. And there were little stuff like that, like, and they cut right when they showed the foot slam down. And there was stuff like that where I was like, wow, that's cool editing. That was a cool, like, I liked the idea that they left that shot there for so long. Cause it just like gives you this feeling of like, you're, you're stuck in this alley, just waiting for Godzilla to show up, really put you in the perspective of the characters, which I really enjoyed. And I don't know if you felt that way about that shot, but for me, it was actually a really creative, bold choice that I wasn't expecting from what I kind of was feeling since i hadn't heard much about it would be kind of a a b-side of the series so i I think the suit looks great i really really love it it's not quite again still not very expressive like the heisei one but i love the feral lizard look and then yeah i think there's you know there's this i'm just calling her bazooka girl the main character because unfortunately my brain is struggling to 
memorize all the Japanese names, but definitely going to work on that the more I, I watch these. But when Bazooka Girl watches her superior die, then screams while firing a bazooka towards the screen as the main title pops up. I was like, all right, I'm down for this movie. Let's do it. And then, yeah, it just kind of loses that energy. Like, I think it's a really hard energy to keep up after starting a movie like that. And I don't think they do a very good job. Yeah. So Bazooka Girl is played by Misato Tukanaka. I believe that's how you pronounce it. And her character's name is Kiriko Sujimori. I made sure to take notes on that. And I really liked the intro, like, because it was very well shot. Like, they relied on the black and red lighting for God, you know, the night shots and everything. Very Heisei reminiscent. And I really enjoyed that. And I wish they would carry that more out throughout the series. But sadly, I think this is like the last one that does that. And that whole shot of where it's like just from that alleyway, that is a great shot and a Mm -hmm. great scene. It definitely builds like the tension. And uh, one. What were you going to say, bud? Oh, sorry, not to interrupt, but I almost forgot. We start off with a recreation of the shots from 54 with the new design of Godzilla. Oh, yeah. so really sweet. Yeah, so one thing that's interesting about this one is, again, reboot, because that's the whole theme of this era. But instead of being a direct sequel to the 1954 one, it just kind of uses those events as the launching point for this one. Mm-hmm. So they never ended up using the oxygen destroyer, which was interesting. Yeah. It was definitely cool seeing those scenes again. And it was done pretty well for the most part. Uh, some of the CG film grain looked a little wonky, but... Sure, but I like the idea of it a lot. I thought it was a cool idea. Like I said, I really like this design too. And I feel like this design of Godzilla fits the it's interesting we don't get a strictly godzilla versus military movie because this feels like a design that because it's so feral and just like unpredictable looking and animalistic it does feel like one that you would see just rampaging through a city and and people having to fight that so that's pretty cool i do like the almost comical absurdity of they've gotten to this point now with godzilla where they're so frustrated with him they're like we can't get rid of this bastard that they're just trying to get as creative as possible so here we are years later at black hole gun and it's just kind of really funny that they, they're so desperate now. They're like, I don't know, fucking shoot a black hole at the guy. That's really all we got. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I will say that effect looks way better than it should. That was oh my another God. shocking thing. Dude, I, I took note of um, when they did their test firing. Me too, yeah. Dude, that, the, I, I want to know how they filmed it. Like, that was really well done. Very irresponsible to just shoot that thing off willy-nilly. Like it's one, oh, yeah. It's, it's one thing if you're hunting in the woods and you accidentally, like, shoot a person. That's one thing. But if you, I don't know, absorb someone into another dimension, it's a little absurd. It's a little... Uh, yeah little ignorant so that was that was pretty funny so kind of the circle back to how you were just talking about godzilla even though this is the same suit as as the previous movie Mm -hmm. i feel it worked better for this movie because it fit that kind of more showa-esque style that this movie was kind of going for yeah and the same suit actor kitagawa he was a lot more expressive and showed a lot more movement with godzilla and I thought it worked way better in this one than it did in the last. It's almost like they improved upon what they had tried doing with Godzilla 2000 for Godzilla. And I thought he was a lot more of a character in this one than he was in the last one. 
Yeah, it's it's almost a little reminiscent on top of being kind of Showa airy. It's kind of a combination of that and like a 90s Saturday morning cartoon where like it's both the Godzilla design and the Megaguirus design are very quote unquote 90s badass. You know, like they're very much the idea of what we thought was cool back then for designs. There's extra spike. His spikes are longer and more jagged and rigid. And he's got like the little perforations on either side of his neck, which I actually really liked. Or not perforations, but like uh, it's kind of serrated down along either side of his neck, which is really cool. Yeah, everything feels very 90s badass. And the they're so... Like, they're a little eccentric the designs which i feel like yeah they almost work better in like a cartoon format or like at least looking at this as more of like a like i could see this movie playing on a morning where they're also airing like power rangers and stuff like that it definitely has that vibe of just kind of like fun craziness but again i i feel like they they stretch it a little too thin here unfortunately and see that's where i get some of the ultraman vibes from too mm. And one thing I did appreciate is they actually give Godzilla a reason to use those giant spikes on his back as well. So it's not just an aesthetic thing. He actually uses them in this one, which was cool. Yeah. He uses it to cut off Megagirus' claw at one point, which to kind of jump to that scene for a brief moment, but it, they almost filmed it like a samurai duel. How mm. each one were on like the other side yep. of this, you know, Godzilla was to the far left and Megagirus is to the far right. And they kind of have like a showdown and come together to you know clash their quote-unquote swords mm-hmm. so that I was that cool too. i wasn't prepared for going back to like early on in the movie some of the horror stuff in the beginning like when the the headphone guy and his girlfriend get killed um oh dude that is, that is straight up horror movie right there that was it's aggressive out of nowhere <laughs> and kind of cool and then there's like a, a shot of the headphones just lying on the ground uh which i thought was sweet yeah, I think I was really into this for like the first 20, 30 minutes. And then after that, it just kind of, I don't know. I think I just kind of like, I feel like I teleported out of it like halfway through, you know. Did they use the black hole gun on you? I think they used the black hole gun on me. One problem I did have towards the beginning was when they brought uh, Kudo's character mm-hmm. to the G-Grasper's base and everything. Good lord, the writing for that was not the greatest. It was so expositional, heavy, and everything. Yep. Like, oh, you're my teacher from when you taught me this, and blah, 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 blah. And it was just like, guys, there's the whole show, don't tell. You don't have to rely on the tell. Mm -hmm. But one thing I do think is really cool is his old sensei is played by Yuriko Hoshi, who we haven't seen since Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster. Holy so smokes. it was, yeah, it was, I was like, why did that name sound familiar? And I Googled it. And I'm like, oh my God, that's her from this movie. That's wild. So that was one thing I do appreciate about mm-hmm. the uh, Millennium Era is they did a good job kind of bringing back some of the old Showa actors. And it was nice to see them, you know, return for this. Honestly, the human cast is pretty decent. I just think they deserved a better movie. I, I, oh, I, oh, yeah. I love Bazooka Girl. Um, She actually has a scene where she's on the raft learning about how Godzilla might be arriving soon. And they cut to her face and she looks like she's trying to feign that she's worried like everyone else is or like she's getting prepared. But you see a slight smile um, because she wants her revenge. And I thought that was actually really good. And she has an incredible presence. And I think that 
it kind of lends because when these movies are when they aren't clicking on all cylinders like some of them do they definitely benefit from from having these really good performances there's so many times in these movies where i'm like man like I'm just not invested, but then the actor will sell the shit out of whatever goofy thing they're doing. And I'm just like, okay, I'm back. I'm kind of on board. So she kept me in this longer than I thought I would be in it. She was definitely one of the highlights. I also like, I thought the inventor guy was fine. I think my problem is that the dynamic of him hitting on her felt like we've seen this a million times. In Godzilla oh, yeah. It was also a little cringy at times. Like, yeah, this is where it, it just that, started to a, feel very tropey. Yeah. It was very much like a school ground crush type thing going on it was a little weird it was a little much i do think that their first meeting is really funny because she comes in and she's trying to ruin his trick for the kids where he has what is it he puts the micro robots under like a little yeah cup or something yeah and it's um he's making curry that way yeah and one thing i found really funny is how disappointed the kids were that wasn't magic and i'm just sitting there like my mind would have been blown if I saw those little robots being able to pull off that kind of stuff. Well, that's what I thought too. And it's also really funny because she says something along the lines of like, don't you think it's time they learn the truth anyways? And I'm like, Jesus Christ, lady, it's not fucking Santa Claus. Like, it's, it's like, what are you? she comes in with this like over serious energy. And I actually think it's really funny. And again, it works with like his sort of naive optimism. But again, I, I think that relationship we've seen before just over and over again in these movies. And I, I do think that this movie relies on a lot on Godzilla tropes. Like I think it just falls back on character things that we've seen before. Yeah, this is Godzilla tropes, the movie. It really is, which sucks because there's so many good little bits in it. Yeah. Um, and like I said, a lot of good performances. There's even another great acting moment, not to keep like harping on it, but man, I kind of, as I'm reading my notes, I forgot how good her central performances, but where the inventor guy writes DT for Dimension Tide on the side of the gun and yep. it flashes over to her and you get this like pained smile of almost like she's warming up to him and, and not like a romantic, not in a stupid romantic way either, just in like a, she's starting to develop friendships and relationships again and she's like amused but she almost seems like in pain to be amused I, it's just i don't know how to describe it maybe i'm reading too much into it but go back and watch that scene and, and she's got some layered facial expressions in this movie that are just really impressive and one thing to actually kind of talk about for her character and everything or the actress is she gets like almost like a mini extended cameo in godzilla against mechagodzilla which I was going to mention when we were watching the movie, but it was kind of everything was happening so fast during that movie. I didn't want to oh, like, pause and I forgot talk about, about it. it. Her cameo in, against Mechagodzilla, she is a nurse at a hospital. Oh. And it's during the final battle and Godzilla is like charging up his beam attack to destroy it. And yeah, there's, she gets a whole scene. So it was, she didn't really have any dialogue, but she, again, very good facial acting mm. during that scene. Yep. So, that it just made you talking about her just made me think of that cameo and everything. But yeah, I did I did like her. She was pretty good in this movie. One of my favorite scenes is when she punches Sugiara, I believe is his character's mm -hmm. name, at the end of the movie, played by Masato Eve, which mm -hmm. he had a very punchable face to begin with. So he, he just has that aura <laughs> of playing like the scummy business, you know, corrupt government agent kind of character. Mm-hmm. And so watching him get sucker punched in the face at the end of the movie was very, very nice. Absolutely. I do think that 
going back to the visuals, I do think that visually this movie steps it up a lot to the last one. Let's talk about how there's a city submerged in water at one point, which was Shibuya in Tokyo. Shibuya. It looks great. It looks amazing. The CG I mentioned in my notes, even though this is literally only a year after Godzilla 2000, Mm -hmm. the CG was already exponentially better in this one compared to the last one. Like Godzilla's underwater swimming scenes, Mm -hmm. even though it still looks like PlayStation 2 era graphics. (laughs) Yes. it looks like, you know, tag end of the PlayStation 2, almost PS3 era graphics. Right. They're upgrading. Slowly yeah, so, but surely. So they're, it's almost like all the mistakes they made with Godzilla 2000, they fixed with this one. So I appreciate that. I, they, they were learning as they were making it, and I do appreciate it. Yeah. There are still some wonky CG and suitmation scenes put together. Or not CG, but like live action and CG uh, suitmation scenes. Yep. Like when Godzilla first makes landfall in Tokyo for the final battle, like there's some, you see like Godzilla's little destruction path, but it's overlaid on a real life shot of that area. And it just, you can tell that it's two different shots kind of spliced together. A lot of times I think they're able to smooth over those weird technical flaws by just showing you something really creative though. Like I do feel again, like the CGI for the water wasn't perfect, but the fact that there's a city submerged in it and it's good enough that when you first look at the screen, you're like, Oh, that's a city submerged in water. It doesn't really matter if you look closer and can see the holes in it. You know, it's like it, it still sells it right off the bat immediately. So you can just kind of follow along with this as long as it works for the storytelling. And it's good enough here. I think in a lot of ways, same thing with like, you know, Megaguirus looks a little jilty sometimes because again, like, you know, there's that struggle with flying characters, but she, is it, it's a she, right? Yep. Queen. So one thing I'll hand this series as I'm watching it is I kind of thought I would get a lot of the monsters like mixed up, you know, like I kind of thought like I'd, it would be like Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, and then like everybody else, I would think it was just kind of like, and all the other monsters, but they all have very unique like powers, they do a really good job in the series of like giving them their own things. Like the fact that Megagirus can like fly around and like basically cut buildings in half with her wings was really cool. So stuff like that I thought was really cool. And they made her, they did enough. We've seen so many flying creatures, but they, they do enough to make her feel unique. So kind of makes me wish we could have seen her face off against like another flying creature, like Mothra or something. Yeah. And to bring up the whole submerged city aspect and everything i think one thing that helped it was it bounced between both practical and cg so even with the cg not being the greatest you didn't really have enough time to process that you're looking at cg because they would use real practical effects for especially when they show those underwater shots of like the drones and stuff flying underwater looking for the eggs and everything Mm -hmm. those looked amazing yeah you know given the time and everything yeah, and Mega Gears is again. I don't know why everyone shits on Mega Gears. I think Mega Gears looks really cool. It's an edgier version of Batra, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I really loved Batra a lot, but I feel like oh yeah, same. I I feel like the the creatures with the weaker movies are always going to get a bad rap, you know, because because I think that this one. Again, just like the characters and just like a lot of elements in this movie, they all deserve a better movie. I think when it comes down to it, it's really the writing that kind of fails every other element in this movie. Because if you just had something a little more compelling to to grip onto, um, I don't know, I think it'd really work. But unfortunately, they give us like just the bare minimum and then 
the performers give it their all. The, you know, creature effects are pretty good for the most part. And I think it all just kind of like, it keeps it at that like mid-tier level, like that comfortable level level of Godzilla movie, but never really is able to excel past that, unfortunately. Yeah, I feel you on that. And kind of the director is Masaaki Tezuka. And he directs a handful of the, of the other Godzilla films in this era. And this is definitely his weakest of all his films, but he redeems himself with a couple other ones a little bit down the line. So to just kind of skip to the final battle, because I mm-hmm. do want to talk about a couple things in it mm-hmm. that uh, really stood out to me, was that was the most Showa the movies have gotten, you know, pre-Final Wars. Yes. There's a couple standout scenes for me. One is when Megagirus had knocked Godzilla into a building, mm-hmm. then flies above him, has a CG smile, knocks Potter the building down on top of Godzilla, and then flies away. I'm just sitting there like, did the motherfuckers really just put a CGI smile onto Megagirus? Like, what? <laughs> it was just like, what? I don't, I don't remember that, but I think this was probably the point where I was starting to you zone probably, out a little bit. Yeah, you probably clocked out a little. And then there and then they do the unthinkable that I didn't think they would do, you know, since you know, the tail slide in Megalon. Mm-hmm. So Megagirus goes to impale Godzilla to absorb more of his energy, but mm-hmm. he grabs the tail, stabs it into the ground, walks backwards, jumps in the air, and fucking body slams Megagirus. And I'm just yeah. like I was just like that that's Showa right there. That was Showa. I think that was that was a moment where I was like, fuck, this is a Showa movie. And maybe all this movie's missing is a Showa runtime. If this was an hour and twenty minutes and you took out the whole subplot about the random boy, which we haven't even talked about because he barely matters. He's in like the first third of the movie and then gets one cameo scene of him evacuating Tokyo and that's it. That's such a weird choice. Yeah. And I just didn't understand it. So I feel like if you had stripped this movie down to just the good stuff, there's enough good stuff here to make a solid, fun, enjoyable movie. But for the most part, yeah, it was just really weird. And much like the last one, there's still kind of some tonal inconsistencies. The way this movie ends is really strange. So she goes into the shop for what feels like kind of like a sequel setup at first. And then she asked for help because she asked for like his help because she thinks Godzilla is back. And then like kind of nudges him when he says something dumb and then he screams in pain. And then the movie then she just says, I'm freezes. sorry. Yeah, and then goes, it cuts. Oh, I'm sorry. And it cuts. And I was like, what? Yeah, <laughs> like, I made note of that too, that that was the weirdest, like, why did it end that way? What? Uh, they ha- I guess they were like, well, we got to end this movie eventually. So maybe, yeah. maybe they just ran out of budget mid scene and we're like, fuck yeah. it, go. Pack oh, up. so did you know about the post-credit scene in this one? There's a post-credit scene. Okay, apparently you didn't. Yeah, this <laughs> is. I think the. I think this is the first one for at least the Japanese Godzilla movies to have a post-credit scene, mm-hmm. and so what happens is it cuts back to that kid. He's at school yeah. now, and he's bringing bugs. You know, apparently he's just obsessed with bugs, and he's bringing some bug displays back to oh, the science boy. room. Mm-hmm. And there's like almost like an earthquake. And then you hear an explosion, and then you hear Godzilla's roar. So the motherfucker willed himself back out of the black hole. So it's just like, Godzilla's unstoppable at this point. If he could just will himself out of black holes. I don't, I'm not even going to begin to try and wrap my brain around the logic there, but I, 
<laughs> yeah, that's that's fine. So yeah, it's fine. They, Whatever. Fuck it. So there was a, <laughs> it's a show a movie. Yep. Yeah. So there there we go. Godzilla's uh super unstoppable at this point. Not even black holes can keep him down. So yeah, that was a sequel setup that we never got. Because this yeah. one, just like the last one, underperformed. So I talked to you a little bit about this off the podcast, but just to kind of say in general that I think what I'm going to do eventually when we, we rank all these at the end is I think because I realized with a lot of these, they're, you know, I'll still do the numerical ranking because there's some that have definitely resonated with me more or less than others. But however, there is this sweet spot of Godzilla movies, maybe not even a sweet spot, but just like a, almost like a safety net where I'm kind of like, these rarely get as bad as like, all monsters attack and as long as they're not that bad they kind of still sit in this area where i'm like "Ah, i would throw it on because it's a godzilla movie you know like there's this comfortable level of godzilla movie that i'm i'm at this point in my fandom watching these where i'm kind of like i'd still watch this again because why not you know i just throw it on because maybe it's one i haven't seen in a while and and just because and it wouldn't make me mad you know because it's it's i do feel like there's a minimum of because these movies are so likable, I feel like there's a minimum of quality there that they don't really go below except in that one case. So this is definitely one of those movies that falls in that safety net of just kind of like, it's fine. You know, it's it's passable and it's a Godzilla movie. And if I felt like watching a Godzilla movie that I haven't seen in a while and I've watched all my favorites recently, maybe I'd throw this one in just to see what it's like. So yeah, I don't know if, if you kind of mirror that those thoughts too. Yeah, I, I totally get it. So there's definitely like a ranking of amazing, very good, watchable, and then fuck these movies. Yeah. And the fuck these movies is very small with this one, with this series because yeah, even some of the worst, quote unquote, are like, are still comfortable to watch and they still have this warm, oh, yeah. loving feeling of just kind of like, you just feel like you're, you know, a kid again. And wrapped up in a blanket just watching this wide-eyed you know as a kid so these movies still manage to do that even even in the worst of times so i feel like that's that really says something about the series but i don't know about you but i'm i'm ready to to change gears a bit let's get spiritual up on this let's get spiritual all right so next up is godzilla mothra king Ghidorah, giant monsters all-out attack it's the actual title When Godzilla returns to seek vengeance on Japan for all of the souls lost during the Pacific War, the mystical professor Hirotoshi Isayama awakens the three guardian monsters to stop him, Baragon, Mothra, and Ghidorah. As Godzilla makes his way to Tokyo, Japan must place its hope in the guardian monsters to triumph over the god of destruction before he can enact his terrible vengeance. So watching all these, even the greatest of them, I feel like they still kind of have to be within the context of this franchise. Like they still, they still feel very cemented except for the first one. The first one I think is a standalone experience. And up until this point, I felt like that was the only one. This one is the second movie so far that I feel like works completely on its own, isolated from everything else from this franchise and much as you predicted i really 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 like this movie it totally Shocker. blindsided me yeah no uh you know i like weird and you know i like weird when it works and boy does the weird in this movie work first off i love that they just reimagined everything they said fine if each one of these movies is going to be completely different going to go for a different vibe 
then why not just completely reimagine these characters? Why stick to the predetermined idea of what these characters represent, what they are? So instead, they took these really cool icons of this franchise and of this genre and had them mean something else. And they started with Godzilla himself as this manifestation of lost souls over the years, sort of wanting revenge for Japan's sins and for kind of the modern Japanese society kind of being neglectful or maybe just kind of like apathetic towards sacrifices made in the past. And to me, that's really captivating. (laughs) And it's really kind of, I also love the idea that the three creatures that are treated as guardian creatures, Baragon, Mothra, and Ghidorah, you know, there's a point where the humans are kind of like, why are they defending us? And someone's like, oh, they're not defending us. They're defending the earth. And that's really cool because Godzilla is literally this manifestation of humans and their sins. And he's basically making them pay, but also hurting the earth because he is all of their evil combined, which is just such a fucking cool idea. And not only are they recreated in, are these creatures recreated in idea and spiritually, but also this design for Godzilla is one of the creepiest things I've seen in this franchise. His white eyes, his weird hunched over back, taking the pupils out of the eyes was huge. And a thing that I kind of wish they did. I'm kind of glad it's unique to this movie, but I kind of wish it does really help sell the sort of uh, fearsomeness that I think doesn't always sell in some of these. And I don't know. He's just haunting and scary in this movie. And much like he's treated in a lot of other movies, just this unstoppable force. I love how simple this movie was. I love that the main characters were essentially reporter and her father who is in the military. And we see it only from their perspectives, essentially throughout the movie which keeps it very streamlined. Normally we get this cast of characters that we don't really give a shit about. And you have that here, but they're kept very much to this self-aware, like we know you don't give a shit about them. or They're only going to be there when they're important or when we need exposition or levity. And for the most part, it's just going to focus on building these two arcs of this father-daughter dynamic. Once again, to bring us back to the father-daughter dynamic of 2000. And yeah, we get a lot more, instead of the science-y mumbo jumbo, we get a lot more spiritual stuff. So everything in this is metaphorical. There's a lot of scenes in the battles where it's it's not people standing on the sidelines explaining what's happening and how the creatures are able to do this. It's sort of things just happen in battle. <laughs> and you kind of they're able to tell a lot of it's through visual storytelling of just kind of you can get an idea of what's going on based on the basic rules and concepts that they've established but mostly you just kind of roll with it because it sets up this idea of mystery and this idea of these are things grander than we can comprehend and these are things above us so you just really get these feeling this feeling of watching these like godly creatures and this movie just felt like such a unique experience to me that i this was the first one also that I should mention I did not take any notes for. So I was worried that I might be a little unprepared, but this is also the one that has stayed the most concretely in my brain since watching this. This movie has not, like, there's specific images that are just burned into my head after watching this movie that I'm glad I kind of let myself just enjoy it because the first five minutes are so fast-paced that I realized I don't know if I can keep up with this and I kind of want to just be immersed and I really like what it's doing. So I'm just going to see what happens and just watch this as a movie and not worry about the podcast right now. And I did that, I think, and I ended up doing that after again with the next one because I wanted to kind of 
I, I liked what that experience did for me. It really let me just give into it. And this movie really benefits from that. So now that I've, uh, <laughs> I've rambled, Josh, I'll, I'll let you, I'm very curious because you haven't really given me much. I'm very curious to see what you think about this one. So shoot. All right. So I like and dislike this movie. I love the fantasy elements of it. I love that so much. I love the mysticism it's such a cool concept and this was the most out there origin for Godzilla pre Shin Godzilla which was really cool I really I dig a lot of the concepts of this my main problem for some of the concepts is just the way the monster design looks okay I'm not a huge fan of King Ghidorah's design which they were going for the element of it wasn't he wasn't fully grown and he wasn't the King Ghidorah yet they talk about how he is the like thousand year old dragon or something like that, and it hasn't fully regrown or until, grown up and until the end. Yeah, which at the end when he becomes King Ghidorah, it still feels really anticlimactic in my opinion. Really, like it's a very the, the scene. That's one of my favorite scenes when he spreads his wings and everything. Yeah. That was really cool. Even though the CGI looked great for the time and everything, but to me, such a small King Ghidorah design. Whenever I think King Ghidorah, I think of this creature that can tower over Godzilla and just dwarf him and like be the real opposite of him. But this Ghidorah was almost smaller than Godzilla, which I know Godzilla is the villain, so he's supposed to be this huge, enormous, you know, looming threat. Mm-hmm. But I thought it would have been even more impactful that if even if Ghidorah was bigger, he was still defeated by Godzilla just to show off how powerful and demonic this Godzilla was. And I really loved the roar for King Ghidorah. It was like a mix of the modern, like it was like modern yet had some of the elements of the Showa roar. So I thought that worked really well together. Sure. So one thing you probably didn't know going into this was Ghidorah and Mothra were added last, not last minute, but weren't the original monsters that were going to be in it. Really? It was originally going to be Godzilla, Varan, Baragon, and Anguirus, which they actually even had designs created for Varan and Anguirus. Wow. But they sadly that... uh, He had his own movie back in 1958, which... I'll tell you more about it after the podcast and everything because <laughs> sure. there's a lot of Toho Kaiju that I kind of want to explore maybe on the podcast at some point Yeah, just because of how deep we've gotten into the Godzilla franchise now. Mm-hmm. And you'll see like how some of these things crossed over at one point or another. Sure. He had a brief cameo and destroy all monsters. But um, one thing that they did carry over for Varan was they kind of based Ghidorah's heads off of Varan. Okay. So that was an interesting concept. The reason Varan and Anguirus got dropped is they wanted more of a sellable idea, and they knew Ghidorah and Mothra were part of Godzilla's Big Five, so mm-hmm. they wanted you know more bankable monsters. Well, I, th- I think it works too, not just because from like a marketing standpoint, but I also th- I feel like I think Baragon was kind of an odd choice, but they they make him work here. Whereas like King Ghidorah and Mothra are both. Not only are they giant, you know, tent poles of this franchise, they feel like they've represented different things constantly throughout 
so not only visually but also just in spirit they're very they're just completely different completely on different ends of the spectrum which i like and i i think that you needed like creatures with different strengths and abilities and looks and vibes and i think that those two just work really well for that. I do think that maybe a stronger third monster could have been chosen. Sparagon does feel random when you're pretty much pulling from the A-listers and then you're like, Baragon, and you're like, oh, all right. Like like maybe Angiris instead of him would have worked a little better for me, but it's a minor nitpick. I, I did think Baragon was fine. I, I will mirror what you said about the creature designs in that I at first didn't know how I felt about it, but I did like that if, because Ghidorah does feel smaller. The images of him first found frozen in the ice are incredible. But then, oh, yeah, course, I absolutely love that. Like the, so the reveal of Ghidorah was so cool. Like again, I don't hate this movie, but I don't mm-hmm. love it the way a lot of fans do. I really enjoy it. I think it's an excellent Godzilla film. Mm-hmm. Very good at recreating everything. You know, starting from its own roots. Yeah, and everything. Even though it is a direct sequel to 1954. But alas, you know, it's still a, very much its own thing. Yeah, and I, th- I think the creature designs are, I was a little mixed about them, I guess. I, I think I, I ended up loving this movie so much that it didn't bother me. But it did feel like some of the creature designs were from different movies. Like Baragon feels borderline cute. And even a character mentions it at one point, like, oh, he's kind of cute, isn't he? And then Ghidorah, again, is smaller. But I, do, I did like the callback to a more Showa-looking Ghidorah. I feel like if you're going to recreate these characters, it's an interesting choice to recreate them from their original, uh, uh, from more representing their original. It's not exactly, but more representing their original manifestation, which I thought was really neat. And Mothra, however, looks more modern and like wasp-like. And I like her like two-tiered wings. She looked very cool in this. I liked her. But yeah, how do you, you have a face were you not crazy about Mothra in this movie? I thought Mothra looked like shit in this movie. Like shit, really? Yep. I wouldn't say shit at all. I think she looked kind of cool. There were some cool elements to Mothra. Like I love the whole like stinger things that she shoots out at Godzilla. Yeah. At one point. Mm-hmm. But one thing I disliked was how much it bounced back and forth between a puppet and CG. To me, the whole thing kind of just looked like a. It looked. She looked very plasticky in this movie, and I didn't like that. Because we've spent all of Showa, all of Heisei, and then even later Millennium, Mm -hmm. she's had this very fur-like texture to her character. So seeing her in this one, where she's, I want to say 90% of the screen time she has, she's a CG model. She just felt very plasticky, and I just, I don't know, she was my least favorite designed monster in this. Wow, I, I kind of liked the like white highlights on her. I liked the. I did of, too. Like I said, she looks a little more like battle ready in this one. I don't know. She looked a yeah, little more and, like she could hold her own in combat. Yeah, and again, it's mainly just because they use CG to portray her so much in this one that even though in King of the Monsters she's all mm-hmm. CG, it, it it fit that movie more. Where this one was so heavy on the suitmation for the monsters. Mothra just to me stuck out like a sore thumb. That's so, interesting. I, d- I don't remember it being as much CG, but again, I feel like with this one, much like that effect I was talking about in the last one, where even if the effects aren't always up to par, the creativity of the imagery and the way that it's shot can really kind of help me ignore that. And for me, this movie smoothed over any issues I had with 
the effects by simply just how well everything was staged and framed. But that's me personally. See, for me, I love everything about this movie except for the monsters. Wow. Which is weird. Like, I love a lot of the elements of the monsters. I think this is... A... So you never seen Baragon's original design, Mm-mm. which Baragon started in his own movie way back in the 60s with our motherfucker Nick Adams. <laughs> nice. Um, his design there looked dopey. So I love this redesign of Baragon. And one thing that's really interesting is he was performed by a female suit actress. Oh, cool. Was, um, that, a, was that a first? Do you know? Uh, for the... I think for the Godzilla franchise, the franchise, but not a first as a whole for suit acting. Cool. It was Re Oda. And one thing that was really adorable about her performance was when they when they were on set filming, whenever they had to do the roar, she would do her own little rah. And <laughs> there's clips of it that circle around on Twitter and Tumblr and YouTube. And it's just the most adorable thing in the world. I'm definitely going to hunt that down. That sounds awesome. Oh, yeah. Baragon, to me, that is the best redesign because it's faithful to the original, but it's its own version at the same time. So how so, did you feel about Godzilla? I loved a lot of elements of it. I loved Creeper his, Godzilla. I loved his face. That is one of the most, that is one of the coolest faces Godzilla's ever had. The um, square I loved, jaw. Yeah, I loved the spikes. Mm-hmm. I just didn't like how chonky he was for this one. You don't like how chonky he was. He's Godzilla, Josh. He's always chonky. Yeah, I know. I know. The chunky boy. The reason I didn't like it was this was the same issue they had with uh, Son of Godzilla, Mm -hmm. where they made the suit a little too big. Because this is, I think, one of the tallest suits. It stood over like seven feet tall. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that's how tall it was. I don't trust Google too much on that part. (laughs) Yeah, one thing that was very distracting to me was you could see where the suit actor's head was, and then it almost kind of curved at the neck to for the puppet head for Godzilla. But see, and, I viewed that as a hunch. Like I viewed that well, as like a creepy. Like I loved that because it added to this weird like well, stature he had. They wanted to have him more hunched over, like the '98 Godzilla, which this movie does an excellent job shitting on. <laughs> um, at the very beginning what's the line um, again uh they're like so the main military guy played by ryudo mm-hmm. uzaki plays admiral taizo who's amazing in this by the oh, way oh he, he i love the human cast in this one him so and his, much him and his daughter are two of the best performances oh my god in they are Godzilla so, so good in this movie i yeah. love them so much chihara niyama as plays yuri the daughter Mm -hmm. had the biggest crush on her growing up (laughs) um but anyway so admiral taizo is given a kind of like a he's teaching the military you know up-and-coming cadets and everything on godzilla and Mm -hmm. mentions an attack in new york and one of the guys leans over he's like yeah they were saying this attack in new york was godzilla but our uh our guys say different oh yeah i just love that i did catch that actually i forgot about that all right, so back to Godzilla's design. They wanted to have him hunched over like the TriStar Godzilla. Not mm-hmm. that dramatic, but they wanted to have him hunched over a little more. Mm-hmm. But the suit was so big, bulky, and heavy that they couldn't. So that's what ended up giving more of that. Because there mm-hmm. were some really good shots of Godzilla in this. Like mm-hmm. when he's running towards Ghidorah, that mm-hmm. looked menacing. 
And one of my all-time favorite shots is when he notices during the final battle he's going to go destroy one of the last cruisers out in the uh, bay and everything. Mm -hmm. He's like, everything's on fire behind him and he's just walking towards the bay super menacing super that that whole shot was beautiful and like mothra is like trying to come and get him and, and when mothra and, comes up behind him it looks fucking awesome oh yeah um yeah. one of and i love how he just whips around and blasts her with his atomic <laughs> breath that was badass she gets fucked up in this movie oh yeah oh another reason i didn't quite like mothra in this one is she was a little stiff in some of her scenes so it was it was bouncing back and forth between really fluid like movement for CG and then really mm-hmm. stiff puppetry. So that's one reason it kind of clashed with me. I guess too. it didn't it didn't feel as I don't know. It it didn't feel clunky like that for me. I, I felt like it it worked pretty well. But again, I think I was just very caught up in the story. Maybe upon rewatches yeah. I, I might I might feel similarly, but for me it works. I don't know. This was a movie where it was very easy for me to overlook anything that my brain would catch as I'd watch it. Like, oh, maybe I don't like that. Maybe I don't like that. There were definitely a couple of those. I'd be lying to you if I didn't say there, if I said there weren't. But I think what makes this movie feel like a borderline like masterpiece for me is that it's, I literally could, it was so easy to forget about anything like that. And I, I, I did not see whether Mothra was CGI or an actual physical model because for me it I was just so roped into it and I was just curious more curious as to everything that was happening I think the combat was really well done I think it's had some of my favorite monster fights I think it the Baragon fight with Godzilla was actually pretty sick that was a pretty cool like that that whole fight that whole fight is just pure Baragon abuse and I love it (laughs) (laughs) well he he also gets a lot of cool moments to shine though like his his leaps and dives he's very agile for a little uh, little piglet that he is yeah I I don't know man from the moment this movie started it immediately announces itself as something different and it does that in every way shape or form one which we haven't talked about yet which is the music for me I don't know how you felt about the score I love that they didn't go with a more traditional feeling Godzilla score because this movie is trying to redefine itself as something new. I feel like it really needed a score to set itself apart and feel more of its own unique project. And I actually really loved the score. I think this is, this might be my favorite non Afukabe score so far that I just thought was fucking brilliant. I, I loved that it felt more modern and somehow found a way to not date itself since, what was this, 2002, 2003? 2001. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. It, it felt very much kind of like a, a, it did a lot of sort of like synthy stuff that I expected to feel dated, but actually worked really well. Um, there was a lot of like elements of like rock mixed in there almost. And I don't know, it, it just, it really created this cool vibe that, was very unique to the movie and the opening credits start off with these really cool shots of like close-ups of the monsters like we get like scales of Godzilla and Ghidorah's neck and Mothra's wing and I thought it was so sweet how do you feel about that so that whole I made a note of that that the opening credits is actually inspired by Ghidorah the three-headed monster because in that one it you start off with like Godzilla's scales Ghidorah's mm-hmm. scales, Mothra and Rodan. So I thought that was I I really like this movie. And I don't want our viewers to get that wrong. It's just <laughs> for me, the monster's designs kinda held it back from being the masterpiece that it really is. How did you feel about the score? 
going to be honest, I kind of forgot about it. Wow, really? I, I, I thought it was I'm, so unique and so cool. Oh, man. I, I'm really bad at music scores, though. So this is not a knock to the movie. I'm mm-hmm. personally just really bad at kind of picking up on... See, for me, I'm always like focusing on what's going on in the movie that I kind of drone out music. Mm-hmm. For me, when I listen to music by itself, I really like it. And if I sit down and listen to the soundtrack, I'll probably really enjoy it. But the millennium era is also the era of Godzilla. I'm not the most familiar with the music. So yeah, that makes sense. I don't really pick up on it. And for me, if the music is good, I won't have to notice it because it just enhances the movie for me. So I don't know. I've always been really bad at kind of like picking up on music and movies. So if I, if I notice it's bad, I, I'll, I'll obviously pick up on it, but if yeah. it's, to me, good music for movies is where it enhances the scene and doesn't distract you from it. See, for me, it's interesting because I do I do agree with that, but I also feel like the most important, like obviously you need a good script, you need good characters, you need all those things, but I think if nothing else, a movie needs to both visually and sonically engross you now sometimes it can do that subconsciously and, and passively and we can just kind of like go along for the ride and not really realize that the visuals and I, music are doing that i think that's how it is the for case me. for you and i think for me it probably does that at first but then i go wait why is this roping me in so hard and then my mind starts to dissect like oh it's probably because this is shot this way and it's probably because this music sounds this way and i start breaking it down already in my head and i don't know if it's just because i've been a film nerd for so long that i and I didn't see this movie when I was younger either. So I saw this movie recently where, you know, I saw this a few days ago where I've have all these years of like watching films and sort of dissecting them. So nothing's really like inherent with this movie for me. Nothing's like, it's all brand new. So I'm immediately looking at it with my like movie lizard brain. And yeah. uh, I think I think that that's that's maybe the difference too is where you saw this first when you were a lot younger. So maybe like this oh, stuff yeah, is just kind of more passive for you at this point. Yeah, and so a lot of these movies I've seen when I was like six and seven. Yeah, which is crazy. Yeah, so I don't know. It's just one of those I grew up on these, so I'm not phased by it as much as you are. And if I had gone. If this was one of my first times seeing it, I would have mm-hmm. probably picked up more on the music. I think so, too. It's only been probably about two, maybe three years now that I've really, you know, sat down and started getting into film and everything like you are. Yeah. So I'm not to the point where I'm picking up on these kind of things as much. And plus, for me, the Fukube stuff has been so ingrained in my head mm-hmm. that when I think of the Godzilla music, that is the music I think of. Yeah. And it doesn't help that I have the soundtrack to the Showa era <laughs> on my iPhone and everything. Yep. So I'll listen to it while I'm at work. And I just that music just gets so ingrained in my head that when I think Godzilla music, that's what I think of. And I don't... The music to the Millennium era is the music I'm the least familiar with. Yeah. Because I'm also the least familiar with the Millennium Era because I just, I didn't watch them like I did the Heisei and Showa era. And honestly, knowing that Afukabe didn't do anymore after Destroya, I kind of thought that the music would take a huge dive in this. And the first couple, I would argue it kind of does. But with this one, this this score, man, really stood out to me. And I actually really liked the... Uh, the score of the next couple films too, but we'll 
we'll get into those when we get there. But uh, yeah, everything just really clicked with this movie. I, I love the, so, you know, we have the really cool opening credits and the movie kind of starts with a series of scenes where we're sort of, uh, it almost feels like a, 80s slasher movie where it's just showing people like partying or fucking around and then they get trampled or fucked up by one of the monsters and immediately it creates this tone of humans are apathetic especially younger generations they've just kind of like they've looked past these sacrifices they're living in a country that people have sacrificed for and a country that people have maybe done bad things too and this movie confronts both those sides and there's people just kind of living in apathy of it and they address that and these characters pay for it and there's a lot of scenes of like yeah whether it's kids partying in like a cabin or like uh these motorcycle this motorcycle gang there's a lot of people paying for these things and i love that they kind of have to face it too like there's one guy who tries to actually take his own life and he's the one who ends up discovering Ghidorah because a like hole falls below the ground before he's about to hang himself and he falls into this cave and it's kind of this beautiful like no you don't get to leave yet until you face this and like yeah it's really dark but it i don't know like and this movie feels so distinctly more a director's vision than just a piece of the whole franchise and the ones that do feel like a godzilla movie like a piece of the franchise I have no problem with that. I love the franchise now. So I, I love that feeling. But the ones that have stood out to me the most, like Gojira, Godzilla vs. Mothra, and then this one, those are probably the three that have felt very distinctly, like like I said, like a director's vision. All right. So yes, I do want to mention how dark some of those human scenes are. Like the partiers on the beach. I used to fast forward that scene because it shows abuse towards a dog and I very much love dogs. Mm, that's fair. And... I used to fast forward through that. I even almost did that this go around. I was like, "Mm, no, I watched John Wick. I can watch this. (laughs) You know, they do show the dogs okay. And I did actually make note where I was like, yeah, Baragon, you fuck up those bikers. Yeah, this is definitely the darkest of the human stories for a Godzilla movie. Not going to lie, because this is the one where you actually see Godzilla's, you know, rampage actually kills people. There are many shots where his destruction is showing. My favorite scene is the girl in the hospital because she was on Mm -hmm. one of the islands that Godzilla first shows up on. And, you know, she's all like hysterical, like, oh, my God, Godzilla, he's coming, he's coming. And later in the movie, it shows her she's, you know, all bandaged up and kind of resting in the hospital. And she sees Godzilla coming. Mm-hmm. And then he walks past the building and she starts laughing hysterically like, oh, I'm safe. Like, oh, God. Then you just see his tail come and smash the building as he's walked past. And I was just like, that is amazing. And you had talked about the directing of this movie, mm-hmm. which I really want to do this now. Hmm. But this is directed by... Shusuke Kaneko, mm-hmm. and he's the director of the Gamera trilogy from the 90s. Really? And I really want to watch those mo- movies with you now because they deal with a lot of mysticism and that kind of stuff. So he's always, I believe, wanted to make a Godzilla movie, and Toho allowed him to work on this. So he brought a lot of his own elements and storytelling ideas to this movie because he helped write it, I believe. And that makes sense because this feels like the creation of someone who maybe thinks I may never get another chance at this. So I'm going to go all out. And this movie really feels like it goes all out. No pun intended being an all out monster, giant monster. I was going to make an all out attack <laughs> joke. God damn it. Um, 
So I like that you brought up that hospital scene because that scene's kind of a bait and switch in itself, right? Like you have Godzilla approaching her, you think she's going to get killed, he passes her, and then we get the switch where he his tail goes through the hospital room. Now there's another bait and switch later on where Leah and I are watching this and then it cuts to, as we know, Godzilla's rampaging, it cuts to a bunch of children in a classroom. And this was my one of my favorite scenes in the movie. The directing here is impeccable. So we hear the stomping, right? You know, this crazy shit's going on. And all of a sudden, the kids in the classroom stop and there's this white light. And all you can think, all, all Lee and I are thinking watching this is these kids are about to get killed, straight up murdered. Like we've already seen this once. We know this is this movie is not afraid to to kill crippled girls in the hospital. I was also kind of thinking in the back of my mind, I'm like, maybe this is just gratuitous, just showing us the most innocent, vulnerable people and then killing them one by one by one. But no, the movie does you one better where there's this bright flash and everything goes silent in the classroom and they all turn. And again, without words, the teacher and the kids just get up and look through the window and in the reflection see an explosion in the distance and to me this is one of the most haunting and beautiful scenes in the entire franchise and is so well done it gives you i mean i had just hair standing up everywhere watching this scene. right now i have that yeah (laughs) and just the cold dead look on the teacher's face and it, it gives you i mean not to make it too real but like it reminded me of i i obviously wasn't close to it when it happened but like being a sixth grader and finding out about 9-11 I mean it when I heard that on the intercom and like it it was that feeling of just being stunned you know I mean there's these kids this teacher and they all have a completely different understanding of what's happening but there's that mutual understanding of what that explosion means and so with their different with kids having a childlike innocence and the teacher obviously having a little bit more wisdom they both have this shared like fear of oh fuck this is this is it like that's the end and it's haunting and when it cuts to show us what happened it was so godzilla had charged up his atomic breath yep and then it cuts to the school you know everyone reacting because it like shakes the whole school and yeah. the teacher like walks over to the window and she goes an atom bomb and it, oh we, yes and that's then right. it, cu- it cuts to what she's seen and the smoke cloud from Godzilla's blast is a mushroom cloud. And it's yep. almost like a shot for shot look of the H bomb or the atom bomb or whatever bomb it was that got dropped on Hiroshima. Bomb, and it, was yeah. just, it was just like, it's, it's, it's haunting. Yeah. It's absolutely gripping. I, I forgot all about that line. Cause that makes the scene so much better too. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's that sort of, they managed to give it that, basically for lack of a better term the balls that the first one had to confront these issues but also even more in a way of kind of it shows both sides of the coin i I think japan's a lot of times in these movies depicted solely as the victim and of a lot of things and i think this one depicts them both as a victim but also as an equal part having been an equal part in wars and conflicts in the past yeah and i like that this movie wants to acknowledge both sides of that. And I think it's, a, it takes a lot of yeah, just strength to really write something like that. So I thought that was really impressive. Yeah. And one of the lines, I forget who says it, or uh, it's a passing dialogue moment, I believe, but they're talking about Godzilla's origin. And one of the things they say is Godzilla is the embodiment of the sins of Japan. It was when they were talking about 
you know, all the soldiers and people who lost their lives during World War II. And they also mentioned that he is also the embodiment of those sins. And it's really cool that Japan's acknowledging that they did some terrible things during wartime and everything. It's not, they're not playing the 100% victim like they've kind of done in some of the other movies. Absolutely. For obvious reasons on why they would play the victim, but. Oh, of course. And and not, yeah, the movie's not saying at all. And and we're not saying at all that, you know, that's not justified. It's just that I think like every, every movie and every story about these kinds of things should be addressed from both sides. And I, I think. I think it's also hard when Japan really was the victim in a lot of these situations for so long and they lived in fear for a very long time. I think it's it's really easy to forget that they're they've obviously done their own fucked up things too, like any country. Um so yeah, I think the fact that this movie addresses that really makes it unique and again is another thing that just kind of adds to the complexity of this film. It's like I d I don't know, I really I really feel I'm able to to analyze this from a different perspective than most Godzilla movies. And I think that's what makes me appreciate it a little more than a lot of others. But yeah, yeah I don't I, know, man. I, really I just me. love this one a lot too. It's just, I wish the monster designs were a little better, maybe a little, not traditional, but had a little better elements thrown into it. Like one thing I really would have appreciated more is if Godzilla had either the early Heisei roar or the 1954 roar. Because the modern uh, Millennium Roar felt a little too heroic for the design they were going for. I thought the more animalistic and creepy roar of the 54 and early Heisei really would have fit the more demonic look that they were aiming for. Which they actually do with Shin Godzilla, which I appreciate Shin Godzilla for doing that. So they, instead of giving him the heroic, you know, I'm the baddest motherfucker, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to defeat the monsters roar so yeah okay but josh here's what i love about you and here's why i love doing this podcast with you is that not a single bit of the soundtrack playing through the entire movie do you remember (laughs) but but, but you can call out the specific roar (laughs) it's so funny to me see me it's the polar opposite like i i'm like i can remember the score but like yeah the the roars and the the suits are a little bit harder for me to pick up on suits suits are a little more obvious but like roars i'm just kind of like yeah there's a creature roaring like i I can't pick up the little fine i think it's also just for the simple fact that i've watched godzilla for almost 20 years at this point yep (laughs) i just love that (laughs) yeah so how do you feel about like the the more monster elements like the the not just the looks but the fights and stuff towards the end oh my god i love the final battle Final battle, I thought, was really incredible. It's so amazing. And, like, so many iconic shots. Like I mentioned earlier, Godzilla running to, like, fight King Ghidorah looked really cool. Mm -hmm. Which, it's kind of cool they kind of replicated that in King of the Monsters. Absolutely. Like I said, the whole scene, there's one scene where King Ghidorah is, like, biting Godzilla and he's biting back. And Mothra's going to try and sneak up behind Godzilla. And Godzilla just whacks her with his tail out of the way. Yep. Like I said, the whole fight with Baragon is just pure Baragon abuse, which I actually mentioned on my <laughs> Twitter yep. and everything. Like, one of my favorite scenes is Baragon goes to jump at Godzilla for a second time, and Godzilla's like, I ain't falling for that shit again, whips Baragon, nope. and it actually kills a couple news reporters, which I love it cuts to the human characters, and they're like, oh shit, those guys are dead. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, no, they're they're fine, they're just sleeping. <laughs> yep. This movie has a weird way, too, of... We talked about how good the prominent human characters are, but even the side characters, 
they're actually really good. Um, there's one where the, so you have some of her, the reporters, like friends and, and coworkers are, are probably some of my favorites because they're, they're such bit roles, but they, all, they give them each like a little gimmick that you kind of like really appreciate. Like the one long haired guy who's just playing with his hair the whole time. <laughs> and you're kind of like, it feels like a guy who just got a new wig for a, a movie and he's just playing with it the whole time, but somehow it works and it never distracted from like, I, I don't know what it was about that guy, but I was like, yeah, I'm fine with this. This works. A weird connection for me about that is yeah. he looked a lot like my uncle Brett. <laughs> really? Which it was, it's super weird to think about. But yeah, so that I just every time I see him, I just think he's that's like the Japanese version of my uncle, and it's nice. just really weird. <laughs> yeah, and then there's the the other guy. I can't I can't remember his name or anything, but uh, there's one shot in particular where I was like, "Sweet Jesus!" Like, give this guy an award. Where something happens, I think it's when she falls, maybe, uh, or the uh, the building she's in gets shot at or blasted by Godzilla or something, and he like screams her name. And like the main reporter's name, and then it cuts like right after that. But it's like this really intense scream, and I was like, Jesus! Like they really managed to. You just feel the like weight of these. They really do a good job of making these climactic moments feel not lightweight at all. Like they really feel heavy, which I loved. And yeah, I love the melodrama of her deciding to go and report because that's her job and she's gonna fucking do it and she goes and reports even when it's dangerous and then of course we get the how did you feel about the really kind of weird but i actually liked it where after godzilla gets like the hole drilled into him and then he's like coming up to the beach right it's kind of like his final stand and he's about to like kill the reporter and her friend and then the beam like comes out of his wound (laughs) i personally really loved that how'd you feel about it that was one of my favorite shots because it's awesome yeah that it was so cool because he this is one thing i really love about this godzilla design for the most part is they brought back the expressions this is the most expressive godzilla's been Mm -hmm. and i love the fact that we actually get to see godzilla be confused he's like he charged up his breath and he goes to fire it and it launches out his neck. And then he has a moment of like confusion. He's like, wait, that's not supposed to happen. And he goes to do it again and then it launches out his neck again. And it, it was also, just, yeah, it was just so cool that, you know, we actually got to see Godzilla think for a moment. It also feels like he was being, you were watching him getting robbed of his powers and he was like, how is this possible? Because <laughs> he's so indestructible throughout the, it's the first movie oh, where yeah. he makes like Ghidorah look like a bitch and you're like, Jesus, and yeah, again, adds and to how threatening he is. Yeah, it's almost like one of those, you know, like 80s comic book movies where like the villain got sucked of all their powers and they're trying to do their last effort to defeat the hero mm-hmm. and everything. And that's how Godzilla felt in that scene. I love how long it takes them to finally fucking kill him too. And the fact that it's the dad that does it, I did like. Like I, I oh, know yeah. there's some movies where it's disappointing where the human characters do it, but No, this one you root for them. Yeah. And you do get more even though they, they do a little bit of uh character stuff and the the monsters are more expressive here, I do think that this is one where the human characters are like rightfully compelling like they are very compelling so you actually root for them but it also doesn't make it feel like any less of a godzilla movie so i appreciated that too and then of course we get that final shot after they blow him up at the very end it sinks to the bottom of the ocean and we see his heart still beating which i thought was pretty cool yeah that was really cool and to kind of circle back on some of the human characters and stuff 
one thing I really appreciated was they didn't mm-hmm. go the generic route where the dad is this, you know, in a lot of Hollywood movies, the military dad is very standoffish and doesn't connect yeah, with his family. that's a good point. And in this one, he's super caring for his daughter and, you know, he's always, like, looking out for her. And I was just like, oh, my God, a positive father-daughter relationship in a movie? What the mm-hmm. fuck is this? Yep. He welcomes her home when she's drunk at one point. Oh, my God. That, that was really funny. <laughs> he welcomes her into the apartment. And he's like, hey, who is that guy who brought you home? He seems nice. And she's like, I'm not dating him. And he's like, okay, well, if you were, I mean, maybe you just want to take it a little easier next time. <laughs> like, he's just, like, super supportive. It's so good. Yeah. So another small human moment that I really appreciated was one of the main soldiers it focuses on during the final battle. I don't mm. know why they've, I think he might be like a captain or something of the squad or something. Sure. But uh, he, he's barely in it. It's only in it for like a minute at most. But they cut to him a couple times during the final battle before he gets killed by Godzilla. But he has this really cool shot where, you know, he's been kind of barking orders, you know, getting his troops to fight Godzilla. And then when Godzilla finally makes the connection that, you know, these are the humans that are attacking him, he kind of stares down Godzilla and he knows he's about to die, but he doesn't run like a coward. He just, he stands his ground. I'm like, bravo, bravo, man. (laughs) Like he he has like three or four lines at the most, but he just does so much acting with his face for such a limited scene Mm -hmm. that that's one of the scenes that stands out to me the most. Yeah. I would be curious to watch that Gamera trilogy just because I feel like, I don't know, every once in a while I see a movie where I just completely click with the directing of it. So I I would love to see more of this guy's work. I think he really directs the shit out of this movie and it's easily one of my favorite of the franchise, like all together. Oh, yeah. I really love this one. Oh yeah. And I've been trying to get Wes to watch a Gamera movie or at least this trilogy. <laughs> and I think this movie confirmed it for him. So is this, because I know you're not crazy about all the Gamera movies, is this one, trilogy the ones that you actually like? This is the trilogy everyone loves. Okay, Because cool. the I'm rest excited. of Gamera, I'm going to shit on you, Gamera, but the rest of your films are all all monsters attack level quality, and we don't got time for that. Your shit's weak, Gamera. Firing yep. shots on this Godzilla podcast. Yep. Fuck your shit, Gamera. No, for real, you're probably fine, but uh, we'll see. Maybe yeah. one day we'll do, we'll do a Gamera special. Yep. Maybe after a certain bond. Yes. Ooh. All right. Uh, anything else you want to talk about for this one? or No, man. Just that this movie, yeah, I think I've pretty much said it all. I think it's wholly unique and was so refreshing and really nice to see. It was interesting because watching this, I knew it, it didn't necessarily mean that the era had hit a stride, right? Because they were all, they, I knew they were going to go in a different creative direction on the next one. So I was very curious to see where this would leave it, but I was nice this was like the confirmation that I'm like, okay, I feel good about this era simply because it gave me this movie. And again, I haven't stopped thinking about it. I already want to rewatch it. This is a movie that I think I'm going to speculate on and come up with theories and really just pick apart in my head over and over again. And I can see this not just being uh, one of my favorite Godzilla movies, but I could see this being like a, a, a top favorite of just movies period for me over time. I think rewatches are only going to benefit it more i i just loved every bit of it definitely and i'll give this movie another shot but again like i said for some reason the monster designs just really don't gel with me which i do much. understand i do totally get that because i think to the point where I, i've grown up on this movie franchise for so long that i just view all the monsters as their own individual characters mm-hmm. 
And so not to see them represented the best, in my opinion, kind of defeats it for me as well, because to me, they're the stars of the movie. And yeah, I'll stop rambling on about that. <laughs> no, that's Before fair. I, I can totally see this one not connecting yeah. with everybody. I, I can already hear, you know, the pitchforks clacking on my door <laughs> on other Godzilla fans. <laughs> is, is this that beloved of, of oh, one? In the, I'm surprised because it's so... I think it's so because different. it's so so different and it brings its own unique flavor to the franchise that fans really love it. And it, it's really well done. It's like they put a good budget into this one. Yeah. So that really helped it as well. Yeah, I mean, even if you don't, if you're someone who doesn't like this movie or doesn't click with it, I, I can't see someone being offended by its its treatment of the material. I, I think. Oh, yeah, I have a deep respect for this one. Yeah, I, I can totally see that. Cool, man. You ready to move on? All right. So uh, on to the next movie, Godzilla against Mechagodzilla. When a second Godzilla attacks Japan in 1999, the Japanese government dredges up the bones of the original Godzilla from 1954 and uses them to reconstruct an anti-Godzilla weapon codenamed Kiryu. Kiryu is completed by 2003 when Godzilla returns to menace Yokohama. Kiryu is sent to combat Godzilla, but the monster's roar awakens the first Godzilla spirit within the machine, causing Kiryu to go berserk. Kiryu's lead scientist, Tokumitsu Yuhara, races to rectify this error in the machine before Godzilla makes landfall again. But even if Kiryu is fixed, the question remains if the government would willingly launch it again. And yeah, this was uh this was the last of all the first initial 28 Godzilla movies I ever saw. Again, thanks to uh, Wes here, because he was the one who got me it on DVD back in the day. Full cousin, what can I say? Yep. <laughs> so, Masaaki Tezuka returns to direct, who did uh, Mega Gears, and then he continues on with Tokyo SOS, which he stepped up his directing game big time in this one, because the cinematography alone is jaw-dropping. Wes and I uh, watched this one together for uh, our continuing watch-alongs throughout each era, and I am blown away. I was just blown away about, like, the final battle. I just had this big, derpy smile on my face. Just, yeah, we like, kept going back and forth, like, oh, did you did you see that? Do you see that shot? Holy shit, that shot. Well, that's a pretty good shot. Yeah, like, I could not get over the cinematography in this movie. This is one of the first times, like, the cinematography just stood out exponentially in this movie for me. Also, this is my favorite Millennium Era design for Godzilla. This thing is amazing. I This is probably one of the ones I own multiple figures of. I have uh, the SH Monster Arts and NECA release of this figure. I love this design so much. It's much like the Godzilla 2000 design, but a little more defined, cleaner design, more or less. Yeah, um, he does look the, really cool. The spikes are a little calmer compared to the 2000 suit, but they're still yeah. big and exaggerated. 2000s and, was a he was a jaggedy boy. Oh yeah, I just love everything about that suit. It's got it brings back the big eyebrows like the 64 suit. Yeah, I just I love the suit so much. How do you feel about uh, Kiryu or oh. Mechagodzilla's new look? Oh, easily best Mechagodzilla we've had. I like it a lot. It's really, really good. And I like the Godzilla suit. Oh, yeah. I think this one plays 
honestly, and I mean this in the best way possible, this one went by, like it made an hour and a half feel like five minutes. Like it went by so fast and it's just constant. I mean, it's, it's not a very in-depth movie. Like there's not a totally elaborate plot or like any sort of complex arcs, but I'm kind of okay with that. It's pretty simple. It does kind of use the whole, you know, military person with a chip on their shoulder thing. But again, I feel like this is another one carried by a really good performance, lead performance by the woman who plays Akane. And she's a really captivating lead. And even though it's pretty simple, she plays it really well. And there becomes a bit of a dynamic between her and Kiryu, Kiryu being made from Godzilla's skeleton, the original Godzilla skeleton. So he basically has a little bit of a conscience there. There's a little bit of like his soul left there that they, they heavily, which honestly, if there's one remaining thread from the last movie and, you know, maybe it wasn't intentional, but it does feel like this era in general has a lot of that spiritual theme carried over from GMK where there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of that with the whole Kiryu concept. Did you feel that way too? Yeah, I I thought it was really it's a lot more explored in the next one in Tokyo SOS. Oh, it so, definitely is. To me, I kind of view Tokyo SOS and Against Mechagodzilla as just one big movie. Cuz yeah. There it's the only direct sequel well we'll discuss Tokyo SOS a little more in depth in just a few minutes, but it's the only direct sequel, so and it takes place so shortly after this one to where it almost just feels like a part one and a part two, kind of like Infinity War and Endgame, how those two just fit mm-hmm. so nicely together. And this one's a little hard for me to talk about because this was another one where I decided I'm just going to watch it. I'm not going to take notes. And I'm glad I did that because in the moment I was really into it. But because this is a movie that is mostly, I wouldn't say this is a movie that really centers on its dialogue or it's like I said, like, nuanced story structure i think it's mostly around the action and the fast pacing and the plotting and just kind of like moving from this to this to this it's an extremely well-paced story and i think it's also really nice to see an hour and a half long movie it's the shortest one since i think we were in the showa era probably so that's really nice and refreshing and also it manages to be a more complete film than a lot of these like hour and 40 minute ones we've been going through so yeah this is this is one that it's not really reinventing the wheel it's not doing anything super unique here but it is just a really well executed like classic Godzilla film is how it felt like it felt like it was and it was nice for me because you know how much I love Mecha Godzilla as a character and I wasn't crazy I didn't I didn't love Mechagodzilla 2 like you did and so I was waiting for another iteration that I could hopefully click with and this was definitely that for me I I loved this version (laughs) Um, the whole idea of him being built on the bones of Godzilla is really cool yeah all the action was really good I do yeah it's almost hard to talk about these films separately this one in Tokyo SOS and I feel like when I think on them both it's been a couple days after watching them I do feel like I think of Tokyo SOS more and it's mostly just because this feels like the first two acts and then Tokyo SOS feels like the third act. And so it's kind of where all the stuff culminates, but this does have some, yeah, beautiful cinematography, pretty good music, excellent fight choreography and action. I do think we haven't really addressed this, but I do think the combat in this era, they finally kind of found a a nice balance between 
melee combat and the beam attack stuff. What do you think? I, I kind of feel like this era fuses those a little bit better. Oh, yeah, definitely. I feel you on that. I love the final battle in this movie. There's really only two action scenes in this entire movie, and one of them's the Yokohama Harbor scene mm-hmm. where Godzilla first makes landfall and Kuryu goes on a rampage shortly after. And just like the uh, 74 and the 93 Mechagodzilla, this guy is stacked with weapons, and it was cool to see it go on like full display. And I love how whenever Mechagodzilla went from being, you know, human-controlled to being possessed by the spirit of Godzilla, its eyes would turn red, which that was a cool, that was really cool. Like, seeing its eyes glow red as it's just destroying everything was very menacing. Yeah, that was probably the one big surprise story element in the whole thing. That was probably the one big left turn that the movie takes is, like, midway through that first fight, you get this... Kiryu just turns on them and starts destroying shit and it was a genuinely kind of terrifying moment because now you're like wow the humans have zero hope and then you get a really cool shot of when I I will say it's a little strange that he has like a two-hour battery life for being such a big machine I feel like if you're uh if your life's depending on this thing Maybe you want to have it charge a little longer. You know, maybe you work on the battery technology a little bit better. However, it does come in handy when your machine gets possessed and basically goes on a rampage. Or not possessed, but like awakens with a conscience and starts going on a rampage. Because then you just got to bide your time until it falls asleep. But the cool part is, is when he does go into like sleep mode halfway through after running out of battle, you get that like incredible shot in front of the, the sunrise where like the dust is just like drifting off his face and stuff was just really, really cool. Oh my God. That was one of those scenes I had to take notes on and I just absolutely adored it. To kind of jump back into some of the human stuff in this for the third time, this era, we have a father daughter relationship and it's just like, I don't know what Toho was doing with this, but it was really interesting. I think it's like each time too, the mother is dead or just isn't around. So that's also really odd. They do this sort of, it's like the most one-sided romance arc of any movie is where the doctor is sort of like, he's not like lusting after her or being creepy or anything, but he is sort of like trying to potentially hit on or flirt with Akane the whole time. And I, the, what makes it endearing is the whole idea that like, there's sort of this arc where the daughter slowly begins to approve. And <laughs> with it, like at first she's kind of like, dad fucking mind your own business like stay focused and then after a while she's kind of like that's cool like you have a chance (laughs) you know like so i like that i also like that akane didn't really reciprocate but not in like a mean way like they kind of made it just they end up just becoming friends which is nice i don't know it was kind of a little bit of a nuance on that trope of you know just having the two leads falling in love which was pretty cool yeah, it was definitely weird, not going to lie. It was just a little odd because it's, it's always odd when a Godzilla movie tries to tackle love as a subject. It does rarely it, work out except for Godzilla versus Mothra, I still think is the best example of like a romantic arc working out really well. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's also just because that's how, you know, Mothra movies also work is they can have lend themselves a little easier to those kind of stories. She gets that heart in there, you know? Yeah. And um, 
yeah, the human actor, yeah, the human actors, the human characters are uh, pretty decent in this movie. I really liked Akira Nakao, who returns from the Heisei era into this one as the uh, prime minister Igarashi. This was his first movie since Destroya, so it was cool to see him return. And we get a uh, deep cuts with Kumi Mizuno returning for the first time since Ebera Horror of the Deep. Yeah, so that, that was, was cool. Crazy. Yeah, the lead was played by Yumiko Shaku. That's Akane. That? Yeah, that's Akane. Yeah, she's yeah. so good. She, she did an excellent job, and I actually made note for Tokyo SOS that I was disappointed they wrote her out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll get there, but that's yeah. That that bummed me out too. I didn't really understand that. One thing that was really interesting is this one is the most connected to the past Toho science fiction kaiju films because it's not only a sequel to Godzilla, the original, yep. but it's also a sequel to Mothra, War of the Gargantuas, and Space Amoeba, which Space Amoeba doesn't really lend itself more until the sequel. So it's really interesting that Toho decided to kind of bunch in a couple more of their other sci-fi films. I feel like this that happens a lot this era because, again, I think they were, like, desperate for inspiration. And they were trying to pull from all these different things, pretty much every weapon in their arsenal that they could, to try to imbue some new interest in the franchise and see kind of what stuck with Godzilla. And we And the next movie, too, there's a reference to, there's, like, a strong reference to a movie that, hasn't been referenced much throughout this franchise. So they definitely, they definitely keep doing that, which is pretty cool. And it actually works in these, I think, because I think it works like you're, if you're in my case, I didn't need to, I could still appreciate the stuff. I didn't feel, I never felt left out. And yet it's extra tidbits for people like you who know all of that. Yeah. I really enjoyed this one. Like you said, it was the shortest one of, okay. I think it might be two minutes longer than the sequel, but it was one of the shorter ones of the millennium era. And yeah, with it being so short, it just doesn't really leave too much to really go into detail on. Like, yeah. yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, like the most interesting thing, which is Mechagodzilla being possessed by the spirit of the original Godzilla, that's something that focus more on in the sequel. So want to just skip to Tokyo SOS? Cause... No, I'm, I'm totally cool with that. I don't have much to say about this one. I will say some final thoughts just because I think anyone listening to this, if you're just kind of listening to this to pick and choose like what Godzilla movies you want, or maybe that's an afterthought for you that you want to get into because obviously not everyone has the devotion and willpower that we do to, to watch all these in a row or just doesn't want to do that, which is totally understandable. It would drive many insane, but we're loving it. So it's been pretty cool. Yeah, I would say I would definitely recommend this one, but only if you also have the intent to watch Tokyo SOS after, because I think watching one or the other is going to give you an incomplete experience. Totally agree. And I do have a subject I'll cover more once we get to the sequel. Cool, cool. All right. All right. Moving on. So next up, we have Godzilla Tokyo SOS. One year after Kiryu's battle against Godzilla, Mothra appears to request the first Godzilla's bones to be returned to the ocean as their use in Kiryu violates the natural order. The government is hesitant to scrap the project, lest Godzilla return, which comes to pass as the king of the monsters makes landfall in Tokyo once more. Mothra arrives to intercept him, and the government is left with no choice but to launch Kiryu into the battle as well. So I really, really enjoyed this one. It has Mothra in it, so that's probably not a surprise, but <laughs> I even enjoyed the non-Mothra elements too, because I really like Godzilla against Mechagodzilla. 
I think what's interesting is that they're able to make this feel like a sequel to the last one, even though a lot of, as we had alluded to, a lot of the main players in the last one, like for human characters, aren't in here, which that kind of bummed me out because I was 50% excited to see the monster stuff carry on from the last one, but 50% excited to see the human stuff. And they just kind of dropped all that and gave us new humans. Yeah, there's only... There's only a couple of uh, human characters that return, and that was like the uh, leader of the Kuryu squad and everything. He returned. I forgot to take down his notes because he was a minor character in the first one. So it was also an even minor character in this one. Akira Nakeo returns as the prime minister, and I think a couple other supporting characters like that return. But it's a whole new main cast, which is actually uh, has the return of. Hiroshi Kozumi from the original Mothra. Yep. And he was also in, I believe, a couple of the other past Showa Godzilla films as well. You know, it's uh, a big deal when I actually think to write down one of the names. Because I, yeah. I was very excited because I knew I recognized him as the actor that was both in Mothra vs. Godzilla and Ghidorah. And then I could tell from the movie that he was a key player in the original Mothra, even though I haven't seen it yet. So that's yep. pretty cool. And it's cool that they actually carried over his character from Godzilla or uh, from Mothra. I love that. Yeah. And it didn't feel just shoehorned in. It felt like it really worked. You kind of, they gave you enough to, again, kind of something that the last two movies have done really well is they gave you just enough of the characters when there's not monster action happening that when shit goes down, we care about them. So I think they get, did a good job with that here. There's a lot of focus on him and his family. His granddaughter and his nephew particularly are the two other main characters or two of the other main characters. Grandson. Um, I thought it was his nephew. His grandson he... and nephew. Oh, I thought it was his granddaughter for some reason. Oh, oh that's no, right. Grandson and yeah. nephew. Yep. Yeah, because he keeps, he keeps calling uh, him uncle, which yeah. <laughs> leads to a great scene later. But yeah, this. So Josh, what were your thoughts on this one? So I really like this one. It's, I don't know which one I prefer. I don't know if I prefer against Mechagodzilla or, or Tokyo SOS because I just view them almost as, again, the same movie because they flow so well together. It's one of the few times where continuity really played a good role in this franchise. Yeah, I really like this one. Mothra's design, this is my favorite one. It's this really is, good. Her scenes in this movie are so good, and it's my favorite Mothra song. This is my favorite rendition really? of it. Yeah, I don't it know what it one. is. I don't know what one. it is, but I really enjoyed it. I was a little disappointed that the Shobijin got such a downplayed role compared to the past films. They were played, um, and it's sadly no longer twins as well. Uh, they're played by Masami Nagasawa and Chiroho Otsuka. And I liked them a lot as the Shobijin, but it, it was just weird that they didn't continue with the twins but you know they still did an excellent job for what they were given i didn't think they had that minuscule of a role just because the shobi Jin are always kind of there to just they always just give harbingers of doom in very high-pitched voices as they in synchronized speech and then sing a song or two so for me i i feel like we had like they kind of did what they usually do like they did their normal song and dance in my opinion personally but no, I did, I did enjoy them a lot here. And there's a lot of fan moments in this, especially if you are a Mothra fan, which again is probably why I really like this. Let's start off with the early stuff. So 
the way Mothra's introduced is fucking badass. There's jets flying through. And I was really hoping this was the case. You see some like rippling in the clouds and it's like kind of a dark sky. And then all of a sudden you see fucking Mothra just pop out. You see like a wing. And I was like, yes, that's such a cool way to introduce her. Cause we don't really see her like that. Right. Normally she starts in a cocoon or in an egg. <laughs> and this was our first time just like, seeing Mothra out and about doing her thing. So that was actually really cool. And then I thought it was a neat little touch having the Mothra symbol be the O in Tokyo SOS for the opening title. But yeah, immediately they kind of establish Mothra as being a prominent part in this movie. So you could tell that was a big selling point when they were like, hey, sequel, but also Mothra, Mothra, Mothra. She's coming. She's here. Yeah. One thing I absolutely adore about this movie is not only is it like a sequel to the original Gojira and against Mechagodzilla but it also acts as like a direct sequel to the original Mothra and it's played off so smoothly and so well that it just I love how well it works and that's what I love about this franchise is they're able to do shit like that and Mothra's introduction when she meets up with Koizumi's character at you know his place in outside the house yeah, I forget where in Japan they were, but it was like mm-hmm. winter time and everything. And sure. I have it written down in my notebook. This reminds me of Mothra's introduction from Mothra versus Godzilla. And I was like, wait a second. I feel like I took that note before. I went back to my notes in Mothra <laughs> versus Godzilla and I made note that it was like Tokyo SOS references this in their movie. Oh, that's awesome. It's almost like a shot for shot, you know, Mothra introduction. It was when that cast and Mothra versus Godzilla met outside the hotel and saw her. I want to talk about how sometimes and especially in this scene the twins act as like they're like mob enforcers a little bit but in like a really nice way like one of the lines is actually please return the bones to the sea or mothra will wage war on the human race it's just a very aggressive line for two tiny little women (laughs) um and then they proceed to say mothra or we don't want that and neither does Mothra. And it sounds like they're kind of like, <laughs> they might as well be like Italian guys in suits, just kind of kicking open the cabin doors and being like, hey, uh, Mothra, I heard you get some bones there. Probably get rid of those bones, huh? Something bad's going to happen to you. <laughs> it was, I just thought that was a really good approach for them to, uh, they are weirdly terrifying, I have to say. And Mothra serves as this kind of, one of my favorite themes in this movie is the relationship between humans and Mothra because they know that they've pissed off Mothra before and she's lashed out at them. And they're afraid of that again, but they also have to trust her, which makes for a really neat dynamic throughout this whole thing is they don't know if they can trust her or not or if they're if by leaning on her, they're just putting themselves in more danger or by not running away from her. So that, that's that's a pretty interesting theme that kind of rides over this film. What I wrote down for my things on Mothra is that she's back at it trying to restore the balance of nature. And her goal is to be able to let the soul of the original Gojira let him rest. Because one of my favorite lines that is said, and it's written on the back of the little talisman that Chujo gets that has the Mothra insignia on it. And the quote is, life has to be lived within the time that nature allows. And I just that is such an amazing line. Yeah, that's one of the last lines that I really thought was amazing. I I feel like they handle Mothra in this really complex way because I feel like she could be a very simple, just kind of like symbol of peace and she's beautiful and she's here and she's the opposite of Godzilla. But they, again, show that she's there's this overlooming threat that she's like, hey, if you fuck with my order in the world, 
I'm going to fuck with you back. And I have no problem with that. So I like that a lot about her. And I think this movie embraces that better than most movies that tackle Mothra. And I think that, again, this is a movie where, to relate to another Mothra movie, remember how when we were talking about Godzilla versus Mothra, how like all the characters are sort of like related in really convenient ways that work out for the story. But I'm okay with that because it ties the story all together. They do that here where the, the nephew works on Mechagodzilla. Yeah. Which is really cool. And I love how after he sort of gets borderline threatened, but also just warned by the twins, he has, he goes to work just like petrified. And he's oh, like, yeah. am I doing the right thing? Is this bad? And all, the, all his friends are working like, dude, you good? It's like, uh, uh, yeah, man, everything's fine. And Mothra's going to kill us. Yeah. Yeah. Nobora Kaneko plays Yoshido Chujo. It sucks that everyone's, Last name of this is Chujo because it follows that family. And mm-hmm. then in Japan, they uh, call you by your last name first if they don't know you on a more personal level. Mm-hmm. So they refer to everyone as like Chujo. So it kind of gets a little <laughs> confusing on like, oh, okay, they mean that character. Yep. I really like him. I think his obsession with uh, Mecha G is a little. Uh, one thing I dislike in the English translation for this movie, at least for the subtitles, is mm-hmm. they refer to him as Mecha G when you can hear him calling him Kuryu and the dub Japanese and everything. I thought that was strange. Yeah, and I forget the reasoning behind that. That was uh, part of the English dub, which that annoyed me. But anyway, I find Chujo's obsession with Mecha Godzilla a little little concerning because he gets all like teary-eyed. He's like, Mecha Godzilla. <laughs> kind of like uh, Goro from uh, Megalon with Jet Jaguar. Yes. Otherwise known as an underrated masterpiece. <laughs> Um, (laughs) so around this, this time in the movie, after we're kind of introduced to him in his workplace, we then get the, I was like, at like, there's the party scene and he kind of steps away from the party and goes to look at Mechagodzilla. And I made a note, thank God, I was worried Akane wouldn't be in this movie (laughs) and because she's in there for about four minutes and then she's not at all. And I was really fucking sad. She even gets some amazing line delivery and dialogue here. I don't, do you know if there was like a behind the scenes reason as to why they couldn't just make her a more prominent character? Because I much would have rather have seen her pilot Mechagodzilla again. I I don't. I would have loved to known um, this whole Kuryu saga. There's a lot I wish I knew more on because I'll spoil, not spoil it yet, but I'll talk about it for uh, the post credit scene in this movie. And I'm very curious to like where they wanted to go with this era or this little section of the millennium era. But yeah, I would have loved to seen her be the main character. Cause yes. uh, they bring in another woman lead. Miho Yoshioka plays a Lieutenant Azusa. Okay. And they have her as like second billing in the human cast and everything. Yet they don't give her much to do. So that was really weird. Yeah, she's in like three or four scenes and that's it. And it's just like, why Why does her character get top billing or second billing? Yeah, it's like you're going to have a new pilot, but you're not going to bother writing her a new story. It was kind of a strange, strange choice. Yeah, like there's like hints of a romance that was supposed to be developed because they knew he, um, she knew Yoshido Chujo's character prior to the events of this movie. So it almost felt like they were going to continue their characters for the next one or something that never you know, got made. But yeah. it was just interesting that they 
kind of tried the hint that she was going to be a big deal, but never really ended up doing anything with her. I which felt sucked. that way too. Yeah, they definitely established early on that we're going to see more of her, and we really don't. I don't know, and I, I think that's if I had one flaw with this movie, with really this or Godzilla against Mechagodzilla, I think it's it's just that they. I wish the human cast because we also don't get the father daughter team here either. So they aren't even referenced. Yeah, no. So it just felt really jarring. Cause it's like, I mean, they weren't the best characters in the world, but I liked them and we got to know them and yeah, I don't know. That was, that was a little odd, but you know, I do think that this movie does a good enough job establishing the characters. And if anything, I think I do like this one a little more, uh, mostly because of the development kind of, of Kiryu as a character. Like they go way more into the idea that a little bit of the original Godzilla is in there. And I, I really like that. And it kind of made me feel like a little bit of a, like Evangelion vibes or something along those lines, where he's like part organic and part machine, which was really, I really appreciated that stuff. How do you feel about Godzilla in this movie? I, again, like I said, this is one of my favorite suit designs of all time for Godzilla. He uh, is played again by Tezuka, who, oh no, that was the director. Dumbass. Kirigawa plays Godzilla again, and he continues to do an excellent job in the role. Um, and again, he's more expressive in this. And I love it when they give allow the suit actor to be more expressive in the role. Just enough, um, too. It's not too cartoony, either. Yeah, exactly. I love the more sub- subdued but expressive Godzilla. Like, there's, mm-hmm. he, they give him little personality quirks and mannerisms and stuff. Like, I love it when he's like, hunt, trying to hunt down the Mothra larvae later in the fight during uh, in Tokyo. And you can see him. He's, like, scanning the ground, kind of looking behind buildings and stuff, trying to see where they're at. And I thought that was really cool. Yep. One thing we forgot to mention in the, when we were talking uh, against Mechagodzilla is the score. This is one of the ones where the music stood out to me. Tokyo SOS um, especially has one of my favorite scores in the entire. Yeah. It's like if the one from GMK was my favorite non-Ufukube score, this is my second favorite non-Ufukube score. And if there's any reason I put it at second, it's maybe just because it at times – is a little forgettable and doesn't there's uh, times where it's a little too i don't know just a little too generic but for the most part there's some fantastic themes in here and there's some stuff that got stuck in my head for like hours after watching it oh yeah her godzilla theme so it, this was all written by michiru oshima sorry if i butchered that this was i believe her third and final time scoring godzilla movies but she did an excellent job Mm, she really really did i yeah this score is amazing i remember you even mentioning this during our uh watch along with uh against mechagodzilla but you said it felt very much like a john williams-esque score yeah i felt that way too it felt like it could have been in a spielberg movie or something and not like just a, a broad hollywood movie way too but just in that kind of like when you listen to music and you know it's it just feels big and special and that's how this music feels there's one note later on where the grandson calling the nephew uncle and then later on after we think that the kid's dead and then he finds out that he's okay and then the guy's gonna go leave and he's like oh goodbye uncle and then he turns around and just he says i forget what the line is that he says but he says something like "Oh, i'll be back or something like that and the music that hits there man just stabbed me in the heart 
and just like completely just squeezed out like the life from me and i just felt so like i immediately just started tearing up and was like this is so beautiful but and and then it uh, eventually kind of develops into that um that kind of like main theme that this movie has which was really fucking cool as they're like building towards the battle but this is one of the only ones only godzilla movies that doesn't have godzilla's a theme from a fukube but instead it's her own godzilla theme which she wrote for megagiris and i love her theme for this this is a very close second favorite for me for Godzilla themes and I kind of wish Toho used it more because I really liked it I can't hum it because it's not stuck in my head like Fukube's theme but yeah but a Fukube had 19 other movies on them so only yeah. on the score so there's only so much that so much you could do there yeah I think this one this is yet another example of what some of the best of these do and that's that they very economically tell the story and give you just enough but don't ever forget why you're there watching it which is the action and i think this does a fantastic balance you know yeah it gets to the moment where they're trying to avoid bringing out kiryu but also don't know if they can trust mothra and my favorite probably my favorite moment this might be like top 10 favorite moments in this entire franchise so far is when they have to they're evacuating the city and Hiroshi Koizumi's character is sort of running around trying to find his grandson his grandson just runs by him to the back of a school with a desk and he's like what are you doing we got to go we got to go and he sets the desk down and you see he set it down by a bunch of other desks and you just see his eyes go it's the symbol and then we get this beautiful panning shot of all these desks lined up perfectly and they see they make some pattern and then we see that overhead shot of them in the pattern of Mothra's symbol referencing i guess it it looks like maybe was it in the original Mothra they used the symbol to to summon Mothra yep at the end of the movie they used they uh, painted Mothra's symbol on the airport the runway symbol. yeah yeah sorry yeah so you get you get that right and then I thought that scene alone was amazing. And I'm like, cool, now we're probably going to cut to something else. And then you see the shadow of Mothra go over the symbol, and I just lost my mind. I was like, oh, we're doing it. We're doing it. And damn, it is so funny because you and I both sent shots to each other of like, wow, this shot's really good. And I sent you, wow, this shot's really good. And they were both from this scene (laughs) because it's that good. And like she flies around, kind of does a circle around them goes over the sunset like as like a silhouette i think what sticks out here a lot for me with this design are the wings because they are so natural looking and it really kind of this is i would say this is the most gracefully done the flying's ever been oh my god her flying just looks so fluid and oh my god i everything about this mothra design i love it's not like the traditional like rainbow mothra that we've seen for like no. toys and her spin-off trilogy and uh the 90s and stuff but her she's got like almost like a little bit long hair on them they're just very elegant and one thing i do like is you see them get damaged throughout the fight and it was really cool because they still look this moth is just perfect i i'm gonna say this moth is perfect oh she's great she doesn't feel engineered at all she just feels i mean i think it's i would say next to probably the original because i still think the original design holds up Oh, hell yeah. Incredibly. And they, they did so many little things like making her breathing as she's dying and making her like, you know, 
the way her wings moved and like the how how they would change the pace of her flying depending on the moment and stuff like that yeah they pay there's an equal amount of attention to detail paid here that I think really pays off because I think Mothra is just such a complex thing to bring to life. And even though I'm a sucker for anything she's in, there are levels to it for sure as to how well it's done. And I think this is, this is definitely some top tier work here. Oh, hell yeah. This is easily, I think one of the best times they uh, portrayed Mothra because that scene where they're at their school and everything and she flies right above the school and lets out her little roar is that shot has been engraved in my head ever since I saw that movie when I was young. And whenever I think Mothra, I think that scene. And that just shows you how good of a movie this is, if it can leave that long lasting of an impression. Yeah, and so then, of course, that eventually leads to Mothra fighting Godzilla. And then what did you think of the the action here and how they did the action with with Mothra? Oh, my God, this is the best Mothra versus Godzilla fight I think we've ever gotten. This is truly, like, I love, she's very tactical in this. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite scenes is, uh, go back to talking about how, like, fluent and natural things move. When Godzilla bites her by the leg and, like, swings his head and (laughs) rips the leg off, just the way she smacks into that building, that that is, like, some top-tier special effects work right there. That looks so good. They also haven't played, I think in the franchise, they haven't played enough with the idea of her like building up gusts of wind with her wings. So I love that that's introduced here in a very like intense way. I oh, did, yeah. I did get nervous because Mothra is constantly on the verge of dying. It's like she has like, it's like an unbreakable. She has like Samuel Jackson's glass bones disease. <laughs> She's just like constantly, you're like, oh, don't walk downstairs, Mothra, you might die. But it's just like literally within like five minutes of introducing Mothra, I forget who it was that said it while they're watching the fight. They're just like, Mothra's using this attack because she knows she's on the verge of dying. And I'm like, fucking already? But luckily, we, we get more of her. But I, did, I was nervous because I was like, can we not kill her off like just yet? I mean, we know it comes. Yeah, you knew it yeah. was going to come because it's her thing, apparently. Yeah, uh, that was uh, Koizumi who said that. Okay, um, yeah, I thought it was, so. His grandson was like, what's going on? And he was like, oh, that's her final attack. And there's a scene where she does that. It's when she uses the scales as she's flapping her wings. And Godzilla's like, oh, I'm going to use my bright idea of using my atomic breath on it. And he goes to use it, and it literally explodes in his face. Yeah, the the scales act as like a shield, like a reflective shield. And oh my god, that shot after the explosion looks so so (laughs) good. Yep. I love that at this point, because at this point, Mothra's not dead yet. She's dying, but she's not dead. And the prime minister kind of realizes he has this really interesting realization that like they can't just let Mothra fight for them, you know, because of, I think part of that's like the guilt, like representative of the guilt they feel towards Mothra. Yeah. And so I really love that realization and I love how that's how they decide to have Kiryu enter the fray. Cause originally they're trying not to, they're trying to be respectful. They're really trying to balance this line. And they essentially later on kind of get the go-ahead pretty much from the twins, which was pretty cool. Like kind of this mutual understanding almost between nature and man. Like it feels like that ongoing arc of that kind of comes to a head here a little bit, which I thought was pretty neat. I really like Nikeo's uh, acting in that because you you see him watching. So they're all in their boardroom watching Godzilla and Mothra battling it out. 
And you just see on his face that he's like, if we don't do something, all this will have been in vain. And it, he does such a good job portraying that on his face. And then that's when he he's like, damn it, we, this is enough. We need to send out Kiryu. And I love that fight between Godzilla and Kiryu. Because we get the twins it's in there amazing. as well, the Mothra twins. Yeah, the, yeah. Well, not the not, not the show. Not the show. That would the, be awesome. Uh, yeah, they'd be like, "Give uh, us the, the egg, motherfucker," twins. and then they'd like sing them to death. But yeah, um, serenade Godzilla to death. Yeah, we get the little little larva boys who Which are. They even made awesome. those more expressive too, and it's just like this is like top tier puppetry and suitmation work. This is. This is the Godzilla franchise running at peak performance. Yep. So let's talk that battle, huh? Uh, oh, one, yeah. One of the first shots, one of my favorites, is uh, they get on either side of a building. And I do think, I didn't think of it this way before, but I do think it's kind of ironic that normally, and we talked about this back in, I think it was way back on Godzilla Raids again, where Anguirus and Godzilla are standing on either side of that castle. And then oh, yeah. we're just like, oh, man, that poor thing's going to get it. And then Godzilla and Mechagodzilla do that, but Mechagodzilla instead shoots missiles from every direction around it. So like oh, yeah, missiles was... coming in from above and from the left and the right, which was fucking sick. Yeah, and I love how Godzilla tries to destroy them, but he's just too slow. So he just says, fuck it, and shoots through the building and then proceeds to walk <laughs> right through that yeah. said building. And I'm Godzilla's just like, that like was we're badass. doing this my way. Yep. And uh, <laughs> one thing that's really cool is the Blu-ray to this has a B-roll on mm-hmm. it and it has some behind the scenes footage and when they filmed that uh the suit actor fell so they had to <laughs> refilm that whole scene oh no that's funny i forgot to mention this on our first when we were talking about against mecha godzilla but the fighting feels very sumo-esque where it's a lot of grappling and pushing around and at first i wasn't quite a fan of it because it kind of slow paced but at the same time i was like this is actually kind of cool, like well, especially in this one. They tried, especially in the late Showa era, to implement a little bit of martial arts, where I feel like that's actually done a lot better here. There's like a more tactical use of like melee weapons for Mechagodzilla's end. One of my favorites being a drill hand, which <laughs> ends up he stabs Godzilla at one point. Jumping ahead a little bit here, but you know just talking about kind of the combat itself in general stabs godzilla in the side and we just see his scales like Godzilla's scales just like spewing out which is sick and he just gets stuck in him for a little while while they're like kind of struggling that was one of my favorite combat moments and the way it's shot is it very reminiscent of like a bruce lee shot like film or something or like a shaw brothers flick where it's just like uh you get this like perfectly framed mid from like waist up of these characters just sort of in combat with each other which was really sweet one of my favorite scenes in this was um godzilla and kuryu charge at each other and my favorite thing is is kuryu ducks as godzilla's charge him and then just shoulder flips him you know king kong versus godzilla style and that was so cool i don't know if this was a full suit like the last one or if it was empty but Whenever they do the shoulder flipping of Godzilla, it's always really cool. It's amazing. It really works well. Yeah, I just absolutely adored the fighting in this one. 
yeah, Mothra, the Mothra larvae even go after Godzilla's tail, just like they did in Mothra versus Godzilla, which made me laugh. Well, my favorite is one of them stalks it a little bit. Like, he, he like, very cutely sort of scampers around behind him and, like, waits very much like my cat would do when attacking my arm or something, just to be a dick. He would, like, see, he saw the tail and just, like, sat there for a minute and then pounced. Yeah, one thing I actually really liked was Mothra's sacrifice to save the twin babies in this one. It was done so well, like the effects and everything. And one thing I loved was Mothra's, the larvae, the eyes went from blue when she was okay to red after Mothra died to show off either aggression or scared. It was kill mode. I think we both know it was kill mode. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when he, like I said, when he lunges on that tail, it's kill mode. Oh, yeah. And a really adorable kill mode, but kill mode nonetheless. <laughs> kill mode nonetheless. One thing I love is the uh, cocoon Godzilla again, just like they did in Mothra versus Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually kind of feel bad for Godzilla in this one. What? I don't know why. I, I just kind of know this ending, at least, where, you know, he just looked so defeated after being, like, <laughs> drill-handed by Mecha Godzilla and, like, just blasted repeatedly. And then cocooned. He well, just you know, looked... Japan felt kind of defeated after he destroyed most of their major cities over the years. So, I mean, take your pick. But I, I think you have a form of Stockholm Syndrome with Godzilla. You've been watching him for so long that you don't understand that he's actually a very bad person, Josh. Uh, one thing. Um... <laughs> That's the best reaction you could have had to that. Uh, yeah, not denying it. I appreciate that. <laughs> Self-awareness is key. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Godzilla is, let's be honest, Godzilla is a sociopath, he's a psychopath, and should not be trusted. I really thought going, I'm not kidding you, I, I want to address this, I really thought going into the series that he was known for being the good guy for most of it, but he's not at all, he's majority dick. Like, I've went, I've said this before and I'll say it again, he's the worst, and it's why when Godzilla vs. Kong comes around, I'm Team Kong, not because I don't like Godzilla movies, because... I love to hate Godzilla because of these movies because they're so good at making him a piece of shit. Uh, our review of Godzilla versus Kong will be spicy because I'm Team Godzilla. I can't wait, man. Oh, order that's order your good. t-shirts now. Let's do this. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, I just overall really adore this one, and I think if it had carried over more of the human characters from against Mecha Godzilla, I would have loved it even more yeah I, I i can agree with that i do feel like overall i i definitely like this one i think more than mecha godzilla but i love them both i think just because this one goes a little deeper into the the overall themes so characters are not i feel like we get more of the monsters being characters which fills in that gap a little bit and more of the whole exploration of kiryu being this kind of remnant of godzilla's soul which is really interesting and yeah, I think they do some really cool stuff here. I think they make us care about the characters enough. Like I said, I think the finale of Kiryu choosing to drag this Godzilla with him to the ocean is really cool. Basically taking him back. And I loved that. I don't know. That felt, it was a really obvious ending that I, I'm surprised I didn't see coming, but I really loved it. Like it was a very simple idea that was just so creatively genius like it was the it was the perfect way to end it and in kind of a bittersweet way i really loved that and it really felt like if this one was the last of the era or 
you know, the franchise for the moment, I think it would have fit really well. I totally agree on that because they, like you said, they give Curryu its own like personality as well. And I, I appreciate that. I'm kind of glad they didn't carry on, you know, make Curryu be, you know, leave it open. So Curryu would return again. I'm glad they kind of yeah. ended its story right here, which was nice. It feels very self-contained. And this, once again, there's this weird pattern with these movies. If you take the original Gojira out of it, because I think that was lightning in the bottle, I think every franchise, for me, felt like it had two movies trying to figure out, or every era had two movies where they were trying to figure out where they were going with it, and then like a streak of three awesome ones. Like, I felt that way with raids again and king kong versus godzilla where both of those felt like totally different tones that they were just trying out and then i think they fell into this really cool groove and then heisei same thing i feel like return of godzilla and biolante both felt like kind of weird meshes of tone biolante was closer but then for me the next three really hit it and then with this one too i felt that way about 2000 and megagiris and then these last three i've i really genuinely love all three of these one thing I did like was uh, how this tied into other Toho films. I wish it was explored a little more, and I wish Toho, with hindsight, you know, made those films maybe mesh a little better together because they all are, are more or less standalone films back from the 50s and 60s but uh, and 70s because this one references Space Amoeba, which is one of my favorite Toho films with the c- creature Kumibis which is the washed up turtle that we see on the beach earlier in the movie, which apparently according to some behind the scenes stuff, they wanted that to be Gamera, but Toho was like, no, 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 no. (laughs) I kind of wondered if that was ever Gamera in a writing room. Oh yeah. Apparently (laughs) it was. And they just obviously weren't going to buy the rights just to kill it off screen and have a dead body of it. (laughs) Now, if you were to wrongly interpret one of their characters, they would 100% buy the rights of that version and then dump them dead on an ocean. Like, I'm surprised oh, we didn't yeah. see 98 Godzilla, but we're That's the there. next one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, because this one ended perfectly with Mechagodzilla or Kuryu sacrificing itself to, you know, rest at the bottom of the ocean with Godzilla, which, of course, Godzilla survives because, of course, he does. And then... And then it ends on a very peculiar note, which you didn't see because you didn't know there was a post-credit scene. Because no, apparently Godzilla was doing those before Marvel made it a mainstay. <laughs> this one Again, ends with uh, Nick Fury coming to Godzilla and being like, "Look, I'm I'm starting a team of dickheads, of giant lizard dicks, and I want you." The final shot is them walking away Godzilla's DNA in like some refrigerated box thing in some lab somewhere and there's also all sorts of other kaiju dna so it was just like i want to know where they were going to go with that story because i didn't even know that was a post-credit scene to this movie but you discovered the one to godzilla against mecha godzilla so out of pure curiosity i waited for the credits to be done (laughs) here and i was just like oh so they were actually legit gonna leave it open with a sequel I'm surprised I didn't think to do that with this one because, yeah, I remember we were sitting there talking after we had watched this and on my end, I was like, 
just letting the credits play out. And then all of a sudden the end credits played for against Mechagodzilla. And I was like, Whoa, dude, post credits, post credits. And you're like, what? (laughs) I was like, yeah, for real. Yeah. And so apparently the main theme of this era was underperforming for every film. So that kind of sucked because that's one of the reasons why we never got a third film to this Curry saga. Correct me but, if I'm wrong, but I read, I read that GMK did all right. Yeah. GM, that was why they were able to continue. Okay. So they um, were the one that kind of. Yeah. If GMK it. didn't happen, I doubt we would have gotten these last three movies. Sure. I'm very curious to what, where they would have gone with the Curious saga after that whole like DNA, like, cause I know you even brought up, when they were referencing a plant and uh, mm-hmm. against Mechagodzilla, you're like, ooh, Biolante, Biolante. And I'm just like, now seeing all these DNA things, I was like, damn it, that, that could have led into something there. You're like, fucking maybe. maybe. Yep. <laughs> all right, man. You so, uh, yeah. got any more final thoughts on Tokyo SOS before we move on? Now let's move on to uh, Final Wars. All right, man. Why don't you uh, start the circus? All right. Godzilla Final Wars. In the year 20XX, monsters have suddenly begun attacking major cities around the globe. An alien force known as the Exilians teleport the monsters away and claim to have come to save the human race. However, members of the Earth Defense Force learn that the Exilians are really trying to infiltrate positions of power in the human society. The EDF exposes their plan, leading the evil controller of Planet X to unleash all the monsters against humanity once more. Mankind's last hope lies with a few remaining EDF soldiers who use the warship Gotengo to free Godzilla from his prison in Antarctica so he can defeat the Exilians' legion of kaiju himself. Um, full disclosure, I was not sober when I watched this one. I wanted to turn my brain off and just have an <laughs> absolute baller time. And oh boy, did I. I, this one is a celebration of Godzilla. This was the 50th anniversary of the franchise and they wanted to go all out and have fun. And I hate the people that are like, oh, it's not high class material like Gojira. It's like, no, they have done so much with the franchise. They can go absolutely batshit bonkers with it if they want. And they did. And I applaud Toho for not holding back on this one. This is honestly one of my favorites, even though it's so over the top, so corny. It's just mm, the cheese is perfect. All right, man. How you just talked about it is how I really wanted to be talking about it after watching it. And this was one that I'd actually seen very young with you, but I don't, I didn't remember much from it. And it turns out mostly what I remembered was in the second half. I didn't realize that there's like an hour of mostly Godzilla-less Matrix tribute fan film (laughs) that... I honestly, I I could not just turn my brain off and have fun because all of the weird choices that, that should have been funny and enjoyable for me just felt like very generic. They felt like the broadest possible thing for that time. They just felt early 2000s in the worst way. And then by the time I got to the end of this movie, I was exhausted. This movie's like two hours and five minutes, which is like an eternity in Godzilla time. And oh yeah, this is... This is the longest Godzilla film so uh, that isn't long. an American film. And to my shock and disappointment, I 
I fucking hate this movie. I did not like it. I know. I know. I'm shocked too. I really thought I was going to have fun with this. I too partook in some extracurriculars. I had a couple shots of whiskey at the ready. I was feeling a little tipsy and honestly that just made me more frustrated. Like I just, I was like, I don't, I don't, I can't be on board with this. It's just too much. And I don't know. I think it's, it's just that like I, the movie moves at such a pace that I wasn't even sure what I was supposed to be enjoying because it's just like constantly changing gears every two seconds. And I I guess if they had just stripped it down to some of the like more like simpler elements, I think I would have been okay with it. But the thing is, is that the movie almost takes itself too seriously. Like it's completely ridiculous and has a ton of fun. But then there's moments where they go out of their way to explain stuff where I'm just like, why bother having exposition in a movie like this? Like, just do the fun stuff. And the exposition was where I was like, man, if we're like, I don't want, I don't need a five minute explanation about people with the M gene or whatever it is and their relationship with Exilians in the history. Like, who gives a fuck? <laughs> like, it's a Godzilla movie. Let's do this. And there's so many unexplained things. There's so much like, there was so so many bad effects, like like absolutely awful effects, and not even really. I, I think the biggest thing with me is that this movie loses the charm and the heart. It's not a very lovable movie, which I thought it would be, you know. And even the goofier ones of the past, or even the more over the top ones in the past, you know, destroy all monsters, or like you know, the way goofy end of the spectrum, like Megalon. Think about those movies is that they were still lovable, but this one just wasn't. And I don't think a lot of the like really poorly like outdated kind of like racial stuff wasn't helping either uh there's a couple of really bad american black stereotypes in this movie that i was kind of honestly shocked and like taken aback by that i was like really we're doing that uh i mean there's a the first and maybe only two black characters in the entire movie are shown uh when zilla which is what they call the american godzilla in this that wasn't zilla that was rodan who Oh, was it Rodan? Oh, yeah, you're yeah. right. Okay, so Rodan, when he attacks uh, New York, I guess, and it's two black characters, and one of them is a homeless guy drinking out of a paper bag, and then the other guy is a pimp with really generic pimp clothes. And I was like, this is bad. <laughs> like, And then, oh, don't worry, the the other... Uh, well, I'll get, I'll get to the other... <laughs> There's another black character in this dude that, uh, again, I just, I don't know what they were thinking. And there are a couple of things here that I was just like, man, what is this movie doing? And yeah, it looks horrible. It's shot really poorly. Like there's not even an attention to, you're going to spend so much time on like the more quote unquote fun elements, like the action and stuff like that. Like there's a lot of crazy martial arts in this make the martial arts good or at least make it funny, like make it like Kung Fu hustle style where it's just wacky, but it's not, it's just generic 2000s. Like it, it's like the movie equilibrium, but like dumbed down and worse. <laughs> it's just like, I, I don't, I don't know, man. It was slowly, it was poorly edited. Uh, there's a lot of like the out exterior sh- scenes are shot with like just completely like blown out exposure. And they just look like, horrible there's like no color but gray and white in every shot sometimes and it's just yeah man i this movie was a headache to watch and again if it was just visual eye candy that was just dumb and fun it'd be different you know like at least make the movie look good if you're gonna devote so much time to these visual aspects but yeah man i don't know i i feel bad ranting on it i really don't want to but 
I felt like the movie was ranting at me for two hours. So now I need to vent. So thank you for being my therapy listeners and Josh. I have the complete opposite opinions of you. <laughs> yep, I had a feeling. Like, I know this one is dumb. I know that a lot of choices for it are not the best, but I just had so much fun with it because it was one of those turn off your brains and just let the movie do its thing. And yeah, I, I love the kaiju action. I thought the effects were actually pretty decent. The, um, the explosion in New York during the Rodan scene is, is one of the worst looking explosions in this entire franchise. There's a CGI explosion that looks absolutely horrific. Which one is it? There's a lot of explosions in this movie. <laughs> Fair enough. It's the one during that scene where they have the, the problematic stereotypes and then Rodan shows up and then... Oh, when the, they all come flying towards the screen? It's horrible looking. It's like a really bad CG explosion. It looks like a YouTube video. I'm trying. I I know what scene you're talking about. I'm trying to think of. I don't know if it's signs of a bad movie or if I just the uh, influences of other substances kind of doled it down for me. <laughs> um. Again, I just never. I I didn't have. It was weird. This is one of the only ones where the effects didn't bother me. That's like, mind I, blowing. Yeah, I know. It's like. <laughs> And the effects in GMK bother me. So it's just like, what the fuck is this guy's problem? You're, I think you're broken, Josh. We need to, yeah, apparently. We need to take you back to the Godzilla fan store and get you repaired. Yeah. I know I, it's done. What were we going to say? Oh, no, it's okay. If you if you can click with the... Because my thing is, I, I can acknowledge a movie being... I, I totally was ready. Like, I went into this movie giving it that defense already. Like, from what I had remembered, I was like, man, this movie's going to be dumb and fun and over the top. I even watched the trailer a little while ago to kind of remind myself. And I was like, oh, fuck, I'm hyped. Like, this is really cool. And I'm excited because it's just going to be dumb fun and over the top. And then watching it, there's just so much time spent on the mutant characters and the auxilians. And a lot of it could have been taken out. And the action, again, like, I'm okay with turning my brain off for action if the action's good. I'm okay with turning my brain off for crazy visuals if the visuals are good. I'm okay with, you know, and even, even by good, I just mean like they can be just like very unique and entertaining, you know, like they could have been a little more wild or could have been like when it came down to the crazy stuff, like the crazy stuff in this movie is just, it's really not that crazy. It's just watching it. It just feels dated. It just feels like stock two thousands action. Um, I will say that one scene that, that is still kind of fun, but again, because of that, the, way they shoot it I, I think it looks horrible but the motorcycle chase has some fun moments in it and i will admit the monster fights in this are not bad there's some fun stuff in here it's very martial artsy and again that's the kind of dumb i'm okay with like i'm totally cool with like them doing goofy shit like again you're talking to like the number one fan of godzilla versus megalon I can forgive that stuff for just wanting to prioritize the dumb fun. The thing is, is Godzilla versus Megalon is like 45 minutes shorter than this. And this is brutal to sit through if you're not clicking with the action or the, the visual style, which I feel like feels so like indie 2000s of like people trying to do the Matrix, but can't, but not on a Matrix budget. And it just did not work for me personally but i can see people if if you are willing to like not even if you're willing just if you're 
if it clicks with you and the stuff that bothers me doesn't bother you and you do find the action entertaining, then by all means, like, I, you know, it, I think if you're looking for dumb, fun Godzilla movies, definitely still give this one a try because so many people land on the same side as you, Josh. And I'm like, I totally really thought I would, but I struggled sitting through this one. Now, this is actually one of the ones where it's a huge split among the fan base. You either really love this one like I do, or you really hate it like you do. And <laughs> I was wondering, yeah. Yeah. Um, man, that kind of bums me out that uh, you, you, you dislike this one. Because to me, this is what... It bums me out, man. It bums me out. I did not want to hate one, especially that you... I, I never thought I'd feel this again after All Monsters Attack. But this is... This is really? The only you, think it, you think it's All Monsters Attack level bad? the length has a huge part to do with it, man. Cause if you're asking me two movies, I don't like, which one would I rather sit through? One of them will give me a headache. The other one will be over 45 minutes faster. I'm going to go with the latter. <laughs> like, I mean, like 10 out of 10 times. I don't know if I'd say it's worse. I just say that I think like if I'm, if I have to decide which one I'm sitting through, like if you cut, final wars down to the best stuff that it has and an hour and 20 minutes then come back and talk to me because because that might be okay i might be, i might be fine with that because again i like a lot of the monster stuff but two-thirds of this i would say isn't monster stuff you know and it's like it's that's too much it's just too much for me and i i just like yeah they they go to this like dumb chosen one narrative and it's all just like generic and if they almost did it to like a way to where it felt like they were satirizing these tropes of the time or movies then i'd be okay with it but it just felt like they were like blatantly ripping it off but not in like a creative way just in a way so that they had something to do while having all this just an excuse for 2000s martial arts and and that and like i could only handle so much drum and bass music over like people in silver trench coats fighting <laughs> Just after a while, I just, yeah. Ah, oh, man. I, I, I do have to kind of compare it. The amount of dislike I have for it is very similar to All Monsters Attack. I'm going to say it. Damn, that is shocking. It's cold. I know. It's cold. But, really, um, yeah, breaks my heart. For me, I don't know if it's because, like, I grew up on, like, almost, you know, grew up on some anime and stuff. But this reminds me, this is like the most anime a Godzilla movie has ever been. So I don't know if that's one of the reasons why I've gelled with it so much is because I'm currently in my own little anime renaissance where I'm kind of really getting back into anime Mm -hmm. and watching it. So I don't know if that kind of helped because I know some anime are ridiculous over the top action and everything. So I don't know if I kind of picked up on some of that in this or what. Again, I feel like even if the point of your action is to make people just go whoa this is insane it has to actually kind of be insane that's my thing and for me this just wasn't like it it was very like kind of -of run-of-the-mill action for most of it and it was sure it was over the top and wacky but not really in a creative way it just felt like like there were a lot of movies that took themselves seriously during the 2000s that look sound and feel like this movie so that's why it's almost it almost just feels like a another like not successful 2000s action movie for me than like something that's like you know taking this risk and really going this crazy like you know something like king kong versus godzilla did where they're like hey we have this thing people have been looking forward to see seeing let's take a really risky crazy move on it and go wacky with it 
this felt more like they were just like, let's do that, but let's stick to very much the things that are popular now. And yeah, I just, I just think that kind of dated it and really hurt it over time. At least that's how I feel. Yeah. I I can kind of see some of that stuff too, but for me, I just, it's not my favorite Godzilla movie. I will not, this is not even in my top 10. I would never, I would never assume that of you, Josh. Yeah. Um, I, this is not one I want to watch on like a weekly basis. I probably once a year to call it good. Maybe be like, yo, I'm going to just going to turn my brain off and just have some dumb fun with the action and everything. And I don't know, for me, kind of knowing more Toho's back catalog compared to you and everything, it was cool seeing some references and picking up on things like the whole Gotango and Manda fight at the beginning of the movie is very reminiscent of what happens in the original Atragon, which introduced Matanga or Gotango and Manda. So that was cool. And then the whole asteroid coming towards Earth named Gorath is from the movie Gorath of the same name. And I just haven't seen that one because licensing in America is fun. So like I just knew that and I know this and I knew this one was kind of a celebration of just Toho's science fiction and special effects films. So I knew not to expect, you know, the deepest story, the deepest characters. I just knew they wanted to have fun and that's how I just viewed it. And so I know I sound like a broken record, but that's why I liked it. Well, no, I mean, that was, that again, that was me with Megalon. Like, that was me defending Megalon. That was exactly how I felt about it. I thought that they made so many wrong decisions that felt like the right decisions as far as making me entertained. entertained. And, again, I, I feel like this one, that tone almost felt a little more deliberate. You know, it wasn't that they were restricted on budget. It was that they just wanted to kind of go it, – it kind of felt like if Godzilla versus Megalon is, like, the room bad, you know, where it's, like – they thought they were making a decent movie and it, it's just shockingly bad and embarrassingly goofy versus this felt like a Sharknado movie where it's like people intentionally trying, like people that are almost like in on the joke, like trying to go over the top and crazy with it. And to me, I, I can't give in to that as much because they're like trying to get a, it's like a person constantly making jokes at you to try and make you laugh, but you know that their only goal is to try and make you laugh, not because they're doing it naturally. And then it doesn't make me laugh. That's kind of how that felt, if that makes sense. I, I get that. But I also under I do really understand liking this. I mean, the, the monster st- side of it, I have very few issues. I think there's a lot of cool character designs in here. I think it was cool that they gave a lot of characters we haven't seen in a very long time cool makeovers. We haven't talked about that yeah. yet, but some of these characters yeah. look fucking awesome. Angiris looks so cool. Uh, I actually kind of strongly dislike this Angiris. What? But yep, the- I, I am not a fan of this Angiris one. Angiris is your guy. Yeah, Angiris is my boy, but uh He's your Angiris. <laughs> Sorry, that was uh, bad. That was very bad. That belongs in Final Wars, that joke. Yeah, no. Um I love the ability they gave Angiris, the armadillo ball type thing. Dope. That was cool. That mm-hmm. was dope. I just I don't know what it was over with his overall design. I love the way he moved and acted, mm-hmm. but I just didn't like his design. Uh how'd you feel about the crazy Gigan remake? Oh my god, that's the best guy again ever. He's crazy that looking. That is insane. Yeah, he was cool. I liked him. Yeah, one thing I actually did like was some of the callbacks and music 
when uh, we saw those two guys chilling in the Antarctica base um, with Godzilla, one of the songs playing over their radio was Mecha Godzilla versus Anguirus. And I absolutely adore that song. And then when uh, your favorite Minya gets reintroduced, oh they had music God. from uh, that music from uh, Son of Godzilla playing. And why did you have to remind me fucking Minya was in this thing? I hate the fact that Minya's in this too. Don't worry, bud. They he should looked, have gone with like little Godzilla or something. He looks horrible because not oh, only. You can't really improve upon that shit design, and they made it almost worse in this one. It looked like they gave him, they gave Minya liposuction, <laughs> and like they gave him liposuction and like Botox, and now he's just like a weird skin tight version of Minya. Like it looked like he unnaturally lost weight, and it's haunting to look at. And then he gets huge at one point at the end, and that leads to one of the weirdest final shots of the movie, but. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the other designs. Okay, so I th- I wasn't a fan of Ghidorah in this. I thought like he started off as like I don't and I don't know if they explained it. Maybe I missed it. Maybe I zoned out. Maybe I was thinking about literally anything else. But he kind of looks like a Dragon Ball Z villain at first when he comes in, and then like he just kind of looks very generic. Like the fight's okay, but it, again, I just I was he looks so typical. Like yeah, Dragon Ball Z, and then. He transforms into like a more traditional Ghidorah, I guess, at one point, and then it looks muddy. <laughs> it looks like a muddy Ghidorah. I just don't know what the look they were going for there was. What? Yeah, I'm not a huge. So this isn't. That wasn't King Ghidorah. That was. So one thing the Toho films have done outside of Godzilla is further made a King Ghidorah family. So it's not just King Ghidorah. There's different versions. And so this is Kaiser Ghidorah. So it's a completely different, you know, monster and everything. Interesting. I wish he had fought maybe King Ghidorah, and then, you know, a more traditional one, because I've never mm. liked it when Toho's tried to do the four-legged kaiju. It's never looked good, you know, unless it was just like someone on all fours. I personally really dug the first form, which is known as Monster X. I actually really liked that fight between him and Godzilla and then Gigan and Mothra join into the fray. And this is actually honestly one of my favorite Godzilla designs too. I actually really dug this design of Godzilla. Godzilla's goodness. They definitely build him to be very maneuverable because he uses a lot of like borderline kung fu in this one. Oh so yeah. They made him more you, this this feels like a more nimble Godzilla. Definitely. Um, actually, one of my favorite shots in this movie is when uh, the main character, Ozaki, is fighting the Exilian commander. And then on the big screen behind him, you see Godzilla almost doing the same motions of fighting Monster X. And I actually, it's dumb shit like that that I absolutely adored in this movie. No, stuff like that I didn't mind. I, I will say, let me list some positives. Let me list some elements that I actually appreciate about this movie. So... One, I, I am mostly okay with most of the monster designs. I thought Kaiser Ghidorah or whatever he is looked like he had poop smothered all over him, so I didn't really understand that. But aside from that, I liked a lot of the designs. I I liked the commander, the Exilian commander, actually, a lot. I thought he was a really fun, over-the-top villain and knew what kind of movie he was in. Um, and I think he worked to that. He, the scenes he was in, it took me out of the crazy fucking fever dream i was in watching this thing <laughs> he like made it feel like a b movie 
a fun B movie that I wanted for like the scenes, most of the scenes he was in. I thought he was suitably over the top. I did like the little they have they play the Sum Forty One song when like Godzilla fucks yeah. up uh, <laughs> Zilla in Sydney, and then when he's like having a fit he almost like thrashes his body to the beat of the song as it's ending, which is pretty awesome. Like the song goes out on this like little outro that's like dun, 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 dun. And he's like thrashing in rhythm to it, which I thought was really funny. Yeah. There's like moments like that. Like I was like, okay, we're like going, you know, that's when everything is actually working together to make shit crazy. But the problem is, is like if just the fighting's crazy, but the music happening to it isn't very crazy or happening during it isn't very crazy or like the setting isn't very crazy or the scenario isn't as crazy, then it doesn't work as crazy fun for me, I guess. And that's kind of where I felt like there were a lot of like good singular elements here, but I don't think they meshed as well as they did in like scenes like him thrashing to some 41. Yeah, I honestly, this I got to thank this movie for introducing me to some 41. That's for sure. Wow, um, really? Yeah, this is the first time I ever heard them. Yeah, I remember being excited that the song was in the movie when I was younger because I had liked the band. I think I had just gotten into the band around the time when this came out. Yeah, and We're All to Blame is an epic thrasher of a song. So it's a good. classic. It's a banger. Yeah, this is one I did not take many notes on just because, I, like I said, I, uh, I kind of turned off my brain and just wanted to have fun, which I did. And there were some actually some pretty cool shots. One of them is uh, when Godzilla busts out of the uh, Arctic base and everything. Is it? No, it's not after he's killed King Ghidorah. Not not King Ghidorah. Um, it's after he's exploded out and there's all the fire around him. And then it zooms in on his eye and you can see uh, the fire in it. And it's, I think shots like that are really cool. So let's let's address the him breaking out of the Antarctica base scene. Cause there's those two guys right in the, yep. Yep. in the room. <laughs> so that scene might be one of the weirdest scenes in the movie and in a subtle way. Like I almost appreciated that scene cause the acting from both the characters was like very stilted and not good. And I'm fine with that again, cause I know what type of movie this is. So they, again, we, we reach our, our third black character in the movie. And again, he's dressed up in the most like generic, american black guy way which was really weird however he turns around and he says something to got to the other guy and i forget what it is he says but you i looked and i was like of course they gave him grills and then i paused for a second and i was like does he have braces and then like the guy has braces and there's nothing with a, wrong with a grown man having braces I yeah thought I it was the braces such, were weird it was it such was an weird. odd choice yeah it was so strange and if it was natural like you know it's not the actor's fault but like I don't know. It just threw me off for some reason. Yeah, like, no, trust like, me. I, I, I thought that was like weird these, myself. He's wearing like these booty shorts with like a mesh tank top. And it's not just any mesh tank top. It has actual like cover things on the nipples. Like, I don't know if you noticed, but there's two circles on. I watched the scene a lot because there was a lot of weird going on in it. It <laughs> felt like an adult swim sketch or something. And I was like, I was weirdly fascinated by the scene. <laughs> I have to confess because I really like this was the kind of weird I thought the movie and was hoping the movie would be the whole time. I was like, what is going on? And then there's of course that shot where he's like, he has this very like not tough guy voice at all too. He's like this big dude, but he, he just kind of is like, they're going to freak Godzilla. And <laughs> the other guy just is mid sip and just spits out whatever he's drinking. <laughs> And he's like, <laughs> and he's like, they're going to free Godzilla. 
and then it just cuts. And I was like, this movie, what, what is happening? And again, that's the kind of stuff I could get on board with because it was just, that's that's the fun goofy i'm totally fine with but there was not enough of that i wanted it to be that weird you know not just like again not just feeling like a equilibrium or matrix fan film i wanted this to like yeah be its own thing and again i i would have been okay if they, i felt like they were riffing on that type of movie but they're just kind of doing that type of movie and i just i didn't really i didn't really feel in on the joke i guess yeah i can see that yeah yeah, I'll admit that whole scene was a little weird. I mean, this whole movie is a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I actually, uh, I just kind of love it how they're both just looking up at Godzilla and they're like, oh, God. And then he just blows up their little headquarters and everything. I, I kind of like that scene a lot. I wanted more um, of those, too, if I'm being honest. Yeah, we never addressed the whole uh, Don Fry of the room. He is so bad in this movie to the point where I love him for it. Yeah, though that yeah, guy, he, that guy's fucking. Uh, he's on another level of like cheesy movie. I I didn't mind him so much. I just it was the situations and scenarios they were putting him in. I think could have been a little more ridiculous and could have been a little more fun. But it's when he has to stand around and listen to exposition that I'm like, kind of all right. Well, let's let's get moving here. But <laughs> he has this like he was perfect casting the visuals i don't know what they were going for it was like a m bison meets like nazi russian hitler with like a nick offerman mustache <laughs> i don't like nick offerman slash hitler mustache i don't know what they were going for there uh but it was it was a look for sure yeah it was like macho man type style and everything <laughs> so yeah, like goofy. this big like brown trench coat black tank top and he was just like i don't know I, he was so bad i loved him in it then of course he talked like this in every scene. You're just yeah. kind of like, what is, what is oh, going his, on? His line delivery, some of it worked, some of it didn't. I wanted him to have more like sensitive scenes. Like I wanted him to open up. Yeah. And just be like, I'm only compensating for the way I was treated by my parents as a child. <laughs> I really, I needed more. I needed more of that in my life. Oh man, Captain Gordon. Yeah. Love you. <laughs> of course. I love he has a fucking katana too. Yeah, that was a that was another choice. Yep. Uh, oh, it was man. just I, there were a lot of these movies that I probably wouldn't have minded if they were two hours and five minutes. Just why did it have to be fucking this one? Yeah, Godzilla is kind of a slasher villain in this one. The way he just walks through a lot of the fucking kaiju, it's a little yeah. ridiculous. Not gonna lie. Yeah, and he's really uh, streamlined his travel. He just oh yeah moves from country to country and just fucks people up. There's oh, like yeah. a montage of it for a while. Yeah, um, he fucks up Zilla, which I appreciate big time in like thirty seconds, not even. No, my I think the the one that gets the biggest whooping is Hedora because Hedora just literally drops down. <laughs> just, I forget what other villain he's with. Yeah. But, uh, they were they're weirdly they find some way to weirdly stack them together so godzilla can just be like all right fuck you and then just atomic breaths and death yeah what he what happens is he launches hedora out of the ocean and then launches ebra out of the ocean and ebra stabs you know as it comes I down stabs uh hedora in the eye with its you know giant claw and then godzilla's like fuck you atomic breath and uh just obliterates them speaking of ebra actually there's a fight scene earlier when 
the what do they call them this time? What are they like the G Men, the G Boys? What do they call the anti Godzilla force this time? I feel like Earth it's probably defense the G force. Oh, okay, usually it's, it's the, the G something, so I just assume. Yeah, no, it's the Earth Defense Force. So when one. they're when they're fighting Ebra in the beginning, and he, the one guy like leaps up on top of him and then aims a gun down at him, and he says something along the lines of "Sorry, but I'm vegetarian," and then shoots him. What does that mean? Like, why? Yeah, would it, no, I, I. Why would it be I offending Ebra if he was a vegetarian? Like, wouldn't that mean he wouldn't want to kill Ebra? But he'd I have no reason to kill him. There's some mean? weird line deliveries in this. I, I, mean, I don't. I think it's more of the line itself. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little. Yeah. Strange. I mean, it was again. It's it's almost so weird that I'm I'm cool with it. But it, it was another one where I was like, at first, I kind of my mind wrote it off as like, oh yeah, some generic one liner. And then I paused for a second. I'm like, that doesn't make any goddamn sense. What is he talking about? And then, of course, he like teleports and just, or Ebra gets teleported back to the ship and he just falls. And he's like, huh? <laughs> it's like, what was that? Yeah, that was something. Another thing, uh, this is the most uh, kaiju ever in a Toho film. Shockingly, I know, right? <laughs> it feels like the most and the least. Like, there's I know, a, there's a lot, lot of them of... get like 30 second scenes and that's about it. Exactly. Everyone's more or less relegated to a cameo i don't know why they couldn't have built up like if monster x was going to be a thing i don't know why they couldn't have built him up better earlier on but i don't really he kind of comes out of nowhere towards the end so godzilla has a final monster to fight which is weird that the thing for godzilla to fight is the afterthought but what do i know i actually kind of liked his introduction how he just slowly like after godzilla blows up the asteroid he just slowly like lands down i will say that was that really well is one shot. of the better shots and and very again dbz as fuck and it helps that he looks like a dbz villain but oh, yeah. uh yeah him just kind of coming down guy can gets beheaded twice oh yeah once by godzilla and once by mothra how did mothra do it though i rewinded it three times and couldn't figure out how mothra ended up beheading him so what i know is mothra used her telekinesis to send the things back the slicers back at because they miss her and she you know like flies up and uses the her telekinesis powers to launch him back at uh gigan and okay they gave gigan the over cocky personality because he thinks he's already defeated mothra so he turns around and uh nope shink shink there goes his head lord knows where he gets all that confidence it's like bro chill out you've been in one movie and you got beheaded twice in this one so what do you want yeah, I actually have the SH Monster Arts figure of this guy again, and I just absolutely adore it. I love the chainsaw hands addition and everything. I love the yeah. fact they actually build up his neck a little more the second go around, kind of mm-hmm. uh, make his neck a little stronger, and it's like, nope, that still doesn't help. <laughs> he had a little pea head in the first one, or in the old, oh, yeah. old school design. Yeah, uh, the, just I think this is honestly the most perfect guy again design out there. I, I love it so much. I was just going to say, I'm glad that they at least, uh, if they were going to put that much effort into the design and actually make a design that most fans seem to appreciate, I'm glad that they did it, that they gave him a couple more than, a couple more scenes than most monsters. Oh yeah, I'm glad that he was one of, more the, one of the more central monsters in this movie. Uh, one of my favorite lines is when uh, the Shobijin show up for like the two seconds they're in this movie. 
they're explaining Gigan's origins and they're like telling how Mothra defeated Gigan, which A, I want to know how the fuck Mothra did that the first go around because yep. even fighting Godzilla, she gets her ass kicked. So I'm just like, hmm, how the fuck did she survive this one? But uh, my Impressive. favorite line is, uh, it's not the entire line, but it's just a uh, Gigan came, destroyed everything. And I'm just like, that sounds about right for Gigan. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Another line, I just saw it in my notes, that I can't believe they legit say at one point is, uh, your resistance is futile. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my god, they did the thing. They do the thing. Oh, speaking of, so, and again, this is kind of a weird thing that I, this is a positive, I guess. I'm really, I'm really getting niche here with my positives, but the, his overuse of the word, the villain's overuse of the word cattle. Is he keeps comparing humans to cattle. And at first, the first couple of times he says it, you're like, yeah, that's a very, you know, overlord villainy thing to say. But then he uses it to the point where you're like, and, and he starts using it in like different contexts and different sentences, but like also always referring to like humans. And I'm just like, he's really obsessed with this metaphor. Like, I don't know what, maybe he's also a vegetarian, just hates beef. And it's just like, has a, has, has beef with beef, you know, has beef with cattle. And Again, don't judge me for making these bad jokes when we're talking about this movie. And yeah, I I just thought that was very strange. Like I, there must be at least nine uses of the word cattle in this. And I, it was a strange, like at one point the writer must've been like, maybe I'll just slip it one more. Just see if anybody says anything. This is one more cattle. This is one more slaughter the cattle line in there. Yeah. One thing that's uh, funny is uh, this movie also continues the trope of uh, King Ghidorah getting beheaded or a Ghidorah getting beheaded. Godzilla takes off two of the three heads instead of just the one in uh, the original Good Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. So that was, was uh, this time. Yeah, he uh, Godzilla's just OP as fuck in this movie. It's aggressive. Like, like he's like shoulder flipping <laughs> Kaiser Ghidorah over his body. I'm just like, dude, that thing is like three times your size. Calm yep. down. And yeah. I, I'm honestly shocked that we saw Kamakuris and Kumunga make a return in this movie. That was cool. That was nice. I didn't, Kumunga I just, fight's kind of cool. Oh, yeah. I just love how he whips him around and just fucking throws him. With his yellow web and then just like, yeah, hucks him across whatever country. Um, yeah. <laughs> this whole movie is ridiculous and I and I appreciate it for it. I mean, I'm glad, I'm glad it's out there because I, I did want this type of movie. I just I just didn't. I didn't go for the angle that they went, but you know, I'm not like, I don't think anyone who dislikes it, you know, or who likes it, sorry, is, is in the wrong or like any, like, I don't, I don't think I totally get liking this. And I, I honestly feel just left out of the party. I really want to like this and maybe I'll give it another try, but I think I'm going to wait a long time on this one for right now. I'm going to settle on not being a big fan. Yeah, this is definitely one you don't watch all the time, like I said. It had actually been a couple years since I last watched this myself. So it was actually really nice to sit down. Because I knew it was going to be over the top and ridiculous. And I just had a ball. And I will admit, I did get pretty tired by the end of it. But I think it was also because I just watched Tokyo SOS right before I watched this one. So I was kind of marathoning them. They're both very high-energy Godzilla films. Oh, yeah. And I definitely prefer Tokyo SOS to this one because that one actually has a narrative that you can really follow and everything. But characters, yeah, I good dialogue. Uh-huh. Shot better. Doesn't have fucking Minya. 
Yeah, okay, that's that. I will give you that one. <laughs> it's not racist. I'm sorry, I'm done. Last one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'll give you that one too, because uh, that, that, that was a little odd. That, it was not bad. a little odd. It was very odd. It was very yeah. bad too. Um, and it's so weird that of all the franchises, even Godzilla kind of delved into that. And I was just like, guys, wasn't the blackface back in King Kong versus Godzilla bad enough? Yeah, like I'm not gonna call it an excuse, but at least they had the reasoning of it was the '60s. Yep. It's like this movie. I don't know what you're going to fall back on, but yeah, uh, no, this is uh 2004. Yeah. I can excuse the trench coats. <laughs> I can excuse yep. the overuses of the colors, black and silver, but in the costuming, but Oh yeah. Here. Yeah. That's a little, uh, it's a little much. Yeah. And I, this movie is definitely with, has flaws for days, but I will be a defender and just enjoy it. Hey man, yeah. I, I I respect and appreciate that, hundred percent. All right, well I think uh, unless you have anything else to add, I think that's a that might be a wrap, huh? Yeah, I want to get to our ranking. Cool man, yeah, let's rank these bad boys. So why don't you? Uh, I'll let you go ahead and uh, and start this time. All right. So for my ranking, I'll uh, start from the bottom and work my way up, kind of like what we've been doing for the past couple. Sure. So at number six, I put Godzilla versus Megaguirus. Obvious reasons, it's kind of the Godzilla franchise on autopilot at that point. Mm -hmm. I put Godzilla 2000 at number five just because it was trying some new concepts and definitely had some interesting ideas, but it would have been higher if the effects weren't shit. That fucking overuse of bad CG. Uh, Number four, everyone's going to murder me. I already hear pitchforks, but I put GMK (laughs) there. Don't worry, guys. It'll be higher on my full-on ranking of the franchise. Final Wars is at number three, just because it's dumb fun and I love it. And then number one and number two are interchangeable because it's the Kuryu saga. And I put sure. I put uh, against Mechagodzilla at number one just because I did like the cinematography just a smidge more. Some of the shots stuck out a lot more to me in that one. Sure. But I love the storytelling a little more in sos i can totally see that and like i said there those ones are easily interchangeable with either one could be topper you know number one or number two sure all, all right. right uh what, what are your uh takes on this era i probably my ranking's probably very easy to figure out if you've listened to this at this point this this was probably the easiest ranking for me uh of the era so far so number six i'm gonna go final wars I really wanted it to be the goofy fun schlock that a lot of people believe it is. And I totally, you know, I believe that it is for them. I just wish it it was for me too. I really wanted to enjoy it, but I just couldn't. And by the end of it, I just really needed a break. I needed some peace and quiet. And then uh, my number five is Godzilla vs. Megaguirus. I thought this one had a lot of potential and that was interesting that you said it was actually the director because you said that guy went on to do the Kiryu Saga, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So it, it's I'm glad that he got his redemption movies and not just one, but two of them. But yeah, I think this movie definitely showed a lot of potential, had a lot of cool, couple cool weird moments. But for the most part was, like you said, just kind of felt like Godzilla on autopilot. Then we got Godzilla 2000. I thought this one had again a lot of potential a lot of cool it was it's it's nice to you know i imagine that 
if I was following the franchise during this time or old enough, I would definitely be glad that this was there to wash out the bad taste of 98. But also, like you said, it ages. The CGI doesn't age incredibly well. Number three would be Godzilla against Mechagodzilla. This one's only really at three because I love the other two so much. But uh, yeah, this one was a lot of fun, super efficient, fast, went and did its job, got out. And I appreciate the shit out of this movie. And Tokyo SOS, I think everything that was practiced in Godzilla against Mechagodzilla gets perfected here and really just executed beautifully and also got my girl in it. So that was that was nice. And then, of course, I'll say the whole title just because that's how much I respect this damn movie. Godzilla, Mothra, and King Ghidorah, Giant Monsters All Out Attack is one of my favorite Godzilla movies so far. And I am so excited to rewatch it again already. I just loved how it felt like this unique vision. Like I said, I feel like it's one of the few so far of this franchise that can survive completely outside of the franchise. If I ever could only choose to own one Godzilla movie and one Godzilla movie only, this would be a strong contender. So definitely excited to uh, see how I feel about it upon further rewatch. But yeah. Nice, nice. Um, I love how our lists are kind of similar for the most part. Um, Then again, there's only six movies to really rearrange and... We feel the same more or less on a lot of these, so yeah. Yeah, I I think this one is a little, I think because the Heisei era kind of hovers around the same quality mark the whole time, I think it's very easy for people to have more varied rankings on it probably, but whereas like this one does seem to have a lot of universal feelings on most of them, the only one that's really split is Final Wars, which again is totally reflected in our list. Yep, I think this is also the most hit and miss of all the eras doesn't have any of the real lows that the Showa era had, but I feel in the same way that the Showa era had a lot of really good highs, this one did too. So to me, this is almost kind of like a throwback to that where the highs are really good and the lows are kind of bad. Yeah, I, I would say overall, this was a, this really is an experimental era. And I think that whereas Heisei was kind of like a, hey, we could update this shit, we could take the shit seriously, we could do a world with continuity and let's just see how it goes and they just everything was all lined up perfectly all the stars were aligned for that movie or for that era of movies to just be the series of bangers that it is and then you get here and it feels like they really want to keep it alive and they have the passion to keep it alive and they found a few few people who had something really interesting and cool to say about it and then eventually very quickly after this era began kind of were like all right maybe it's time to bow out again at least for now and as we would come to see it would be what 12 years uh 12 years for the japanese franchise 10 years for the franchise as a whole because it was 2004 to 2014 between reboots and then 2004 to 2016 between final wars and shin godzilla which I'm very curious to how the Reiwa era is going to continue now with the MonsterVerse kind of going on hiatus, at least after this next one. Because Shin Godzilla, or not Shin Godzilla, but the whole Reiwa era as a whole is going to be the most interesting because it's going to contain multiple continuities, just like the Millennium era. we got the Shin Godzilla one, we're going to have the whole anime trilogy, and then whatever comes after that, which is currently called the World of Godzilla. 
So I'm very hmm. much looking forward to where Japan's going with their franchise. That's intriguing. Yeah, I, I'm interested too, because I've seen, so the next one of these that I've seen is Shin Godzilla. I haven't seen the anime trilogy yet. So our next episode is going to be interesting for me because I have seen the only live action one in it. And so I'm, I'm curious to see. I, the idea of an anime Godzilla is really intriguing. I know it's not crazy popular with the fans, but I'm curious to see how I feel about it. Maybe I'll feel different. Yeah, and this will be my next re-watching the trilogy will actually be my second re-watching of them because to me they put a bad taste in my mouth. So I, when I finished Final Wars, I was kind of regretting having to go right into the anime trilogy because I was like, I just want to watch shit in the American films. Is any part the- of you interested in giving these a second shot? Yeah. I am interested to see where we're going to go from here, but at the same time, I'm kind of just like, I kind of just want to get to the MonsterVerse. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to get there too, but I think this will be cool to kind of at least check us in with where Toho's at most recently uh, yeah. in, the, in their film universe. And I'm excited to just kind of see how that kind of maybe compares and contrasts to the current American take. Yeah, definitely. All, All right. right. Uh, that was uh that was our hot takes on the millennium era. That was fun, man. I can't believe we're uh we only got a few episodes left and then our our main event, Godzilla vs Kong. I'm excited. Oh yeah. I can't believe we're already here. <laughs> yep. So we got uh we got Rewa, then we got the American films, and then we'll have a special Kong episode, which will be a total blast. I can't wait for those. But that's gonna be feel totally different. Oh and, yeah. And then we will do we will rank all the eras together and do our review for Godzilla versus Kong, which I am super excited. So Josh, thank you as always for joining me in these conversations. No problem, man. And don't forget to check us out at Not Buff Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Yeah, those are the three sites we're currently on. And thanks, uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Thank you to Matt Williamson, as always. At the time of recording this, we have not yet seen his Millennium art, but I am so freaking excited to see it because he always knocks it out of the park. Yeah, thank you for everyone who's been supporting us through this so far, and we really can't wait to keep going. And we will see you next week on Escape to Monster Island. Have a good day. Goodbye.